Pictures podcast. We're going to talk about every single movie released by New World Pictures. I'm Ryan. With me, as always, is Mark. Will you be my friend for a week? <laughs> and Erica. <laughs> Keep me out of the sun, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and join us for the reason for the season. We're talking about Vampril. That's what we're doing. We're in the month of Vampril, guys. And this is the movie. So join us for this movie. He is a member of the comedy troupe Dr. God, a writer and performer in the TV series Helden, and the director of the movie Bloodsucking Bastards. He's also one hell of a nice guy. Brian James O'Connell, everybody! Oh, Hi, <laughs> right, Brian. Great yes. to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Until you said Vampiral, it didn't occur to me. I was like, oh, because I made a vampire movie. That's why we're watching Vampiral. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, no. This, ah, oh, to be it. honest, I have to be it. honest. It, uh, there's also an extra connection just to make it even, to make the layers even deeper. Uh, how, how far does, we're through the looking glass here, people. Uh, <laughs> my uh, my second movie, uh, Angry White Man, was the first ever American U.S. theatrical release for uh, one Matt Berry, who is on What We Do in the Shadows. So it's just vampires all the, the way around. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yes. So, well, and of course, as I was saying, this is the reason for the season. We're talking about 1986's Vamp. <sighs> yeah, lot to unpack. <laughs> Guys, I'm psyched. Let's party. <laughs> Dark boys, you wanna go uh, bump in the night? We're here. Wait, wait. You're just what I'm looking for. I'm on a roll tonight, and when that happens, I attract women like flies. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh oh. Hello. That's right, 1986's Vamp, brought to you by Brandy. 
<laughs> tired, tired of the old, same old strip club drinks like Bacardi, Jack Daniels, and Old Forester, which there are Old Forester. There's so many boxes of that in the After Dark Club. Then light up your night with brandy instead, the most combustible liquor of them all. Uh, now served in unlabeled clear bottles <laughs> black labels that you cannot as much as you try to pause the movie and mm-hmm. see what brand it is you won't be able to mm-hmm. uh this is directed and written by richard wank who would go on to write the equalizer films the mechanic remake and recently the protege wank got the gig from producer donald p borchers who also gets story credit here who knew of Wink's uh, NYU thesis film called Dracula Bites the Big Apple. Uh, but this is his first feature-length screenplay and his directorial debut. Uh, and Borchers basically uh, approached him and said, I have a poster. He has the poster with the lips and the fangs and the title and was like, give me a movie with college kids, strippers, and vampires. And, he was, and I'll let you direct it. And he said, you got it. And now <laughs> that is how we have Vamp, which stars Grace Jones, who is the film's biggest star, having just been in Conan the Destroyer and View to a Kill. She was cast after the foreign sales department saw her name on an audition list from the camp casting director, Linda Francis, who Donald P. Borchers worked with all the time. And they thought she should be in it. Oh, if we have Grace Jones, that would be terrific for us. And uh, it got to the point where they were just calling this movie the Grace Jones Project at New World Pictures. Um, this is That's what Borchers said in an interview. Donald Borchers persuaded Grace Jones to be in the movie by sending her a copy of Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire, which at that point in time had not been made into a movie. It was just simply a book. And uh, that apparently worked because Jones was taken by it. Uh, and the fact that the character had memories and feelings... And they weren't your typical vampires. In fact, this is what she said in 1986 appearance on the Today Show. And I read a book called, um, what's it called? And and Bryce, an interview with the vampires Uh called. And Bryce. And um, my character was based on that character in a sense. I mean, it wasn't taken from the book, but I did read that book to get the feeling, you know, of putting human feelings into it. And I, I guess I started smoking cigarettes a little bit <laughs> as a habit, you know, just to see what a habit feels like, because I haven't got any. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You started smoking cigarettes in order to, in order to develop a habit? Well, to see what it feels like. Have you yeah. developed it? I mean, do you now smoke constantly? Uh, no, no, because I'm in the studio. But while I was shooting, I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> she started a habit. Wait, wait, Okay. <laughs> Anne Bryce's interview with a vamp <laughs> convinced her to she start studied, smoking cigarettes. Study the text. She also decided to t- keep a nocturnal schedule during the shoot, regardless of whether or not they were on location or in a studio, so that she would never go to day calls. So they had to all shoot at night, even the, when they were in the studio. She was She's also method. fascinated about... Yeah. But she was, she was interested because of the memories and... Sort of the, I guess the the personal turmoil of being a vampire. Yet right. she speaks no words. No words. Movie. Not a single. No. Nope. Never. No. Never once. She's all presence in this, <laughs> and a good one. Mm-hmm. Yes, you of know. course. 
But, but uh, it's funny. I would also, not. I would. I would never think watching this movie like, man, she must have really taken this from Interview with a Vampire. Yeah. Can I? Right. Can I jump in on that for a second? Yeah. <laughs> yeah please. Uh, I can see the Max Shrek Nosferatu sort of influence, um, yeah. for sure. And then also, uh, there's part of me. It's like I always feel like the smartest actor is when you look back at this type of material, just like. Hey, you know who also didn't say any words because he read the script? It was like, I'm not saying any of that dialogue. Crispin Glover with the remake of Charlie's Angels. He was like, you know what? I got a better idea, McGee. How about I say no words? And then, you know, but there's nothing I look at that movie. I go, you know what? Totally pulling that from Lestat. I see it. I see it. <laughs> you know what? That's uh, Anne Rice's number one choice was, uh, was Rucker Hauer. And then right after that, Gotta be Grace Jones. Gotta be Grace Jones. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of. Kind of in a crazy thing. If uh, Borchers is any guide, what he also said is that another habit that apparently she also enjoyed was ecstasy, and she enjoyed hmm. it so much that she often wouldn't show up to set until very, very late, if at all. And mm-hmm. one time, not at all, because she decided to go to Paris to be a part of a fashion show. <laughs> They had to haul her back to the United States to actually shoot the movie she had agreed to. And uh, and then they had to hire a PA to watch her 24 hours a day to make yeah. sure she'd show up places. I, I I will admit that while watching the movie, the, the seduction scene that she has where she's practically naked, except for she's taken off the Keith Haring inspired paint, but left on the silver uh, four, four or five years later, uh, blonde ambition Madonna tour steel uh, coverings. And then when she's like seducing that guy, I was just like, man, I, I, if I was that actor, like I, Grace Jones is a whole lot of woman. I think I would be very, very intimidated to try and do that scene to find out halfway through what she's on ecstasy. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess, I guess whatever Grace wants to do in this scene, I'm going to like rely on my stunt training because she's going to. Fuck me up! Wow, she she, she did wow. literally uh, bite Robert Russler's neck. Yes, twice. And, and, yeah, and and according to an uh, interview I listened to with him at the time, he said she did not draw blood, but the legend is is that she bit mm-hmm. through the prosthetic and and bit into his neck a little bit. But, but you think, be the judge on what you want now, to believe there. I, I don't want to spend too much time on this one scene, but I think we're missing kind of an important part of that scene, which is Robert Russler's incredible ability to pull off his shirt and blazer in one move. Yes. I was yes. impressed. Yeah. I was like, well, touche, Grace Jones. Yeah. If you was, can do that, you also are standing your ground. But was that one of those like uh shirt blazer combos that was popular in the eighties? I'm trusting that it was truly a two shirt, it's a shirt and a blazer. Were the blazers and he was just like stitched into your shirt and you just No, run. it's uh it's a it's a Leslie Nielsen gimmick, you know, from when back when he was doing naked gun. He just he just took the one finger and just went yeah. right down all Pulling the way. Off. Was a tearaway suit. Yeah. Tearaway suit. I just I would I can't wrap my mind around being so beautiful and influential that you're just like i'm not going to work tomorrow i'm going to paris and Mm -hmm. when i do go to work i'm going to work on ecstasy like i can't i'm too i'm too ugly to live a life like that i'm not not pretty Mm -hmm. enough to be that brave i think it's also the timing period of like she's part of the whole andy warhol scene absolutely you 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 definitely 
you definitely know what you're buying when you're ordering off the menu, like for Grace Jones. It's just like this is she, yeah. This she is was the still person. in that world, Andy Warhol. Yeah. She was still in that orbit. He had not passed away at this time. Uh, mm-hmm. He Keith Haring, of course, worked on the film. Like she still had her people around her, so she was just Grace Jonesing as much as humanly possible. And it's yeah, like the they, statue, they just had the, to. Yeah, the statue chair that she does her dance on is based off of her boyfriend, Dolph Lundgren's. I'm just yeah. going to say that line one more time. Yeah. Ba- <laughs> the statue chair in the shape of a human man is based off of her boyfriend. Yes. Dolph Lundgren. He's in the life cast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She got him his first gig in A View to a Kill. He was just yep. there. And he gets a line, a dialogue, because he was just dating her at the time. And that's how he... Yeah, she's like, who's that? He's like, oh, that is just my scientist kickboxing boyfriend. Do not pay attention to him. <laughs> yeah, he Don't was studying. He was me. studying in New York. <laughs> modeling wow. for money. And Amazing. they met. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. She was living an incredible... Similar to our meet cute. Just yeah, a couple totally. of models. <laughs> just a couple of models. Out Chicago. <laughs> This two so yep. so wild and drugged, we just couldn't help but fall in love. Yep, yep. That's uh, I know. Whenever I think of Chicago, I think of two things. I think of I think of Polish sausages, <laughs> and then I think of supermodels. <laughs> what we're famous for. <laughs> It's the two not, a lot of people, not a lot of people know this, but Sharda Halper got her start as a supermodel. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's, that is, that's what they do. That's the industry. Her that's and Dolph had just broken up, so she relocated. Mm-hmm. That's right. You're Ryan. The rest so, Ryan, is history. where's your chair? <laughs> you don't. You didn't, you didn't get right. a chair made. What? Well, what the hell? Yeah, yeah I know. Er, Eric and I's chairs of each other, where we life casted ourselves yeah. <laughs> into mm. chairs for the other. Mm-hmm. That's in the bedroom. Yeah. You know. Oh, got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Chair's Fair a enough. lot softer though. It's a lot. Um, you yeah. know, it's more orthopedic yeah. than it is sexual. <laughs> It's, yeah, yeah. It's my, more like, my, my more chair like will actually give you an adjustment. Just... That's what mine will do. It will actually give your spine an adjustment if you sit. Funnily right. enough, that's uh, that's most of the modeling that uh, Sharna Alperin was doing for orthopedic shoes. Not a lot of people know that. Also, in, in that interview clip that you were playing, is that her talking to Bryant Gumble? Yeah, is that who she yeah. had the interview by? Yeah. Oh. Wow, uh, yeah. that's pulling that out of my ass. I'm like, yes. yeah, like Bryant Gumble. Yeah. Yeah. Person I haven't thought about it. Uh, it's, right. a, it's a fascinating thing to look at him because his interview style is to literally lean and put his elbow on his knee and is just his chin in his hand, like, what's it like to be Grace Jones? <laughs> you know, it's like it's like it's like, wow, he's he's got a thing, well, man. I mean, that's well, it's awesome. Well, his know? brother Greg Gumble just looks like Keenan Thompson doing a Brian Gumble impression <laughs> on this. Oh, hey, bro. <laughs> Broncos turn it over on downs. Right? Uh, all right, here's here's where you can Let's watch Vamp, that. and uh, I'm pulling this from an article on Bloody Disgusting: Five Vampire Horror Comedies to Stream This Week, which happens to have Vamp and also Blood Sucking Bastards as wow. well. Yeah. Vamp is on a Plex, Roku, mm-hmm. Tubi. We watched it on the Arrow Blu-ray. Uh, but sure. also, Bloodsucking Bastards is everywhere. Freebie, Plex, Pluto TV, Roku, Screenbox, Shout TV, and Tubi. Some of those I didn't know, so I was like, oh, good. <laughs> you can get the Blu-ray yeah, as well can. from Scream Factory. I have, a, I have a question for the panel. This is a, 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 a half-serious, half-fun um, 
uh, opportunity for bits as we all do. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't know if vamp it could be considered a comedy either intentionally or unintentionally. I, I don't believe in good or bad improv. I don't believe in good or bad improvisers. And I've, uh, you know, there's just improvisers and more experienced improvisers. And over the last several years, I've tried to really like have that be part of sort of my own. They're like nobody intentionally tries to make a movie. We all know like an intentionally a bad movie. We all know that getting a movie, a feature film made is a miracle. And then sure. to have that to be objectively and popularly consumed as a quote unquote good movie is a second miracle unto itself. So when you watch Vamp, you go like, there's clearly genius behind this. There's clearly people who are uh, like objectively functional and, and, and good at their jobs. I'm struggling for the right word, and so I don't want to be demeaning. But like the cinematography is definitely there. Like the, the editing mm-hmm. is there. They had a budget. They blew up a car. There's certain scenes in the <laughs> sewers that clearly they laid down track. You know, they mm-hmm. like they yeah. did like mm-hmm. all that's there, but then also, also laid down some pipe. Am I right? <laughs> pipe, am I right? Oh, <laughs> like so. On the one hand, let me go back for a second. So all that's going, but simultaneously, it does not look like any single actor was ever given a single line of direction at any mm-hmm. point. Everything didn't so much seem like a first take and it seemed more of like a third or fourth take. And well, it's not going to change from that. So I guess we'll just move on. Mm, yeah. Half of it feels like an Alex Cox repo man or, or Stuart mm-hmm. Gordon mm-hmm. Uh, reanimator uh, or anything that John Waters has ever done. And then it also feels like you were saying of like someone said, I, uh, I want a teen sex comedy. Here's the poster. Just give it to me and I'll put it out. I don't give a fuck. I got, I got, yeah. I got 400 drive-ins that need a film by Tuesday. Yeah. And so you just watch it like poor, yeah. poor Gene, who has been in other stuff before, similar to this and mm-hmm. has given better performances. It is clear that they did not hire any real strippers or any real drag performers or any real burlesque performers. They hired actors and then said, you get up on stage and just give, what you think a, I don't know, the uh, the LaCroix version of what you think strip dancing is. It's not quite a soda, but it, it has a soda adjacent sort of feeling it to it. It has the hint of stripping to it. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The same way that's like someone took a lime and, and and tossed it at this aluminum can filled with club soda. This is what the <laughs> So uh, there seems to be real genius about it, especially when it's just in the club and it's like, the talk amongst the people who work there. I'm like, this mm-hmm. feels like a very subversive underground. We're going to pull a combination of weirdos and uh, from Richard Linklater's wettest dreams. And then like a cast of characters that felt like they were old Hollywood, but like 40 years past it. So <laughs> I don't know if it could be considered a comedy because there's it, intentionally it doesn't work in a comedy and unintentionally it's not, a oh let's do a riff tracks or mst3k sure, about sure, this sure. It just it's it's threading this needle but i don't know what that needle is trying to assemble clothing wise what 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 is, what is your guys opinion not to it? put the cart before the horse i do think this is a comedy in that there are certain scenes that they are intending to be comedy i mean the as you were saying getty it, his entire function in this is to be comic relief. Of course, and there's comedic relief. There's comedic relief in Die Hard and Die Hard Two, to be certain. Sure, absolutely, but right, it's not right. meant to be a comedy. Well, I, don't, I, I, don't know. I think I think they were thinking that this was going to be a comedy, and I think there are certain Fair. scenes, particularly. I think that the chemistry between our two leads, which is Chris Makepeace, who's a Canadian actor, and he was in uh, 
Meatballs and My Bodyguard, most famously yeah, yeah. before he did this. I knew him for My Bodyguard, for to be certain, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and then Robert Russler, who was in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, and mm-hmm. ingrained in my memory in, from Weird Science, because I saw him mm-hmm. a million times in that, and I couldn't... I remember the first time I ever saw this movie, I just couldn't disassociate himself. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. couldn't think of him outside of Weird Science. I was like, no, you can't, be, you? <laughs> you can't be someone else. And then on top of that, this same year, he, uh, Robert Russler is also in Thrashing, which is maybe now the movie mm-hmm. I associate him more about because I've probably That's seen Thrashing even more times than I saw Weird Science, which mm-hmm. is a, a very, very high number of times. But, I would, uh, love, to see but those, an, I would love to see an interview with the writer and director where he's like, well, it, what I was really trying to go for was uh, make a movie about uh, families. And sometimes you choose your family. <laughs> like, it had that. Right. right. Yeah, well, the, uh, Richard Wank is... Obviously, as I was talking about his resume, he's a writer and he's written mostly action films. And so sure. I think an exploitative nature, which this film has, he gets the horror and the comedy part that didn't seem not to say that he doesn't have a, a, a firm grasp on those mm-hmm. of those kinds of genres. But th- those don't follow him. But I do think he was attempting to. There's that scene with um, Robert Russler, as I was saying, and, and Chris Makepeace, where they are in the cafe. The ad says that the club won't open until after dark. Well, it's dark. Yeah, but is it after dark? No, but I definitely think it's dark. But it might have just turned dark. Well, how are you supposed to know the exact moment it's dark? I mean, if we knew that, we'd wait a few seconds and it'd be after dark, right? So when's that? I don't know. That whole thing is an absolute, you know, little comedic piece. Attempt at comedy, to be certain, yeah. Sure, and I think, I do think that there was a comedic beat of bringing in Dee Dee Pfeiffer and the fact that he doesn't know her. All that is sort of light and funny. Now, is that comedy? Well, I mean, that's a matter of like, did we put comedy people in charge? And that's not to denigrate anyone. Yeah. Also, well, I mean, I know better. Uh, I know just as well as most people uh, who work in that genre, how hard it is to do horror and comedy at the same time. And you bring up a very good point. I feel like we could probably be a little bit fair to them because it's of a time and place. Like you go back and watch like maybe not the SCTVs of the world or anything like that, but you might go back and watch a random episode of Fridays and you go like, wow, that was the height of comedy. And now it's the same way. Like I'm a huge pro wrestling fan. You go back and watch stuff from that year, from like 84, 85, 86. And you see the rock and roll express do stuff. And they're like, Oh man, these guys were getting so much heat for the boys at the time. Like you're going too fast. You move through. And they would look like they were moving through molasses right now in (laughs) any wrestling promotion. (laughs) Right. Right. So I guess at the time I'm like, yeah, there is definitely sort of like, well, it's definitely dark, but is it after dark? I mean, well, it's dark, but you after, yeah, at the time that's probably like, yeah, that's the, that's the status of comedy, and that's probably the stuff that they were learning in college of, like, you, you know how it is. You've seen those old books from the 70s and 80s about how, like, comedy, it's like, make sure you uh, make sure you put a K word in there because Ks are funny. And you look in the back <laughs> of the book, and the guy wrote it is like, right? like, <laughs> like a fucking Martin Short character. So you're like, oh, okay. But it, it, yeah. it never won. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe they just didn't have a, an ability to, like, thread that needle because there is a... There is definitely times where I'm like, all right, that's funny. The, uh, you know, no spoilers, but like at one point there's a skeleton. Well, there's going to be spoilers. We're going to get oh, spoilers. Yeah. We're going to get spoilers. spoilers. We're going to talk okay, about this so- movie. We're going to get into spoilers. Look, we're already in what this movie is about. I think we're yeah. already here. Yeah. Guys, uh, unless you have something else to say, let's get into what this movie I is think about. The only thing I was going to just say is I feel like that 
that experience that you had, VOC, mm-hmm. that's the new world experience. Yeah, that's like, fair. Yeah, this movie's enough. It's a strip club. We've got titties. We've got vampires. <laughs> that's all we need, right? And New World's like, da, 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 da. you're gonna you have want? a lot more. <laughs> what else you want? Yeah. What else you want? You're but gonna also, have all of it. They're We're following... gonna appeal to every audience, demographic, age, gender, style, taste. Like it's too many things. And they're following Not Fright wrong. Night. They're following Fright yeah. Night, right, Mark? So I mean, at this that Friday night's like a year before, sure. And so they're yeah. trying to like they're throwing it all in there, trying to do the same thing. They're trying and to be a breakfast, lunch, and dinner buffet all day long, mm-hmm. like day and night, like a twenty four hour buffet. Mm-hmm. They're also introducing a very giallo style to everything yeah. that oh, also throws it off a bit. Where you're like, mm-hmm. it's very stylized. The, the, it's very stylized, mm-hmm. but you're not sure why. Is it to make it scarier <laughs> oh, or is it to make it funnier? You're like, okay, yeah. I get it that everything is green and pink, but why? Green, pink, and purple. Yeah. The, yeah. All the colors that don't oh. that don't show up naturally in nature. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And again, it's 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 so funny because as Erica was saying, like, you know, that experience of like that tape recorder bit is a funny, interesting bit. It's mm-hmm. that's yeah. one the movie? interesting yeah. way to sh- yeah, to start yeah. your movie. And I'm like, that felt like very like 1970s early you know late 70s early 80s like national lampoon like that's a harold ramus mm-hmm. bit i absolutely yeah. believe that yeah. and yeah. it's it's so it's just for every moment you're like how can so many things be like yeah that's such that's so right and yet this is so wrong welcome to your worst nightmare <laughs> we're about to make the ultimate sacrifice the supreme test of immortality our own now! Let's just jump into what this movie's about. We're already jumping way ahead. Sure. But let's right, talk about what right. this movie is about. Mark, what's Vamp about? Uh, any strip club that doesn't do a two song set for each entertainer is a must avoid. Fair. Fair. Bro, uh, BOC, you may have already said this, but what uh, what do you think Vamp is about? Um, okay, I feel like um, narratively inside the structure of the movie, it was a, uh, and I, I mean this sincerely, I believe that they were trying to make a sex comedy that was a little bit smarter than the jocks of the world were making at the time. They wanted to make a sex comedy that was from the that was punishing the cool good-looking, fast-talking guys uh, for their arrogance and trying to reward the guys who were shy, inappropriate, considerate. At no point did he ever say that whole feature-long running gag of him like not remembering her. It wasn't because he had had sex with her and tossed her away. It's that he was too nervous and too... Um, he didn't want to be rude by saying right, that he didn't right. remember her. Mm-hmm. So I felt like there was something something from the filmmakers that they were trying to say that of like, we could do these sort of revenge of the nerd type pictures or animal house type pictures, but we could do it better, but with more of a little bit of our, like our punk rock aesthetic. Yeah. But, but we're going to cast Robert Russler who plays the preeminent jock <laughs> asshole in weird science <laughs> to kill him, right. to kill him. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To kill him multiple times. Uh, wh- who, who else <laughs> would you do? Rob Lowe wasn't a thing yet. He wasn't available. Right. You do that. <laughs> yeah. 
Also, Rob Lowe is <laughs> immortal. You can't kill him. You look at that guy now, you're like, oh, that guy's oh, definitely Jesus. a fucking vampire. Yeah. Talk, yeah, he's definitely, yeah. He's definitely he feasting was, on Grace Jones's wrist, for sure. It, well, it is. That, that is He was Atkins. just on Seth Meyers with his son. <laughs> That's Atkins? Is that what you said, Mark? Atkins. That's Atkins. That's, Atkins. That's the yeah, Atkins it's diet. It is Atkins. It's Grace Jones. Protein. She it's like a walking charcuterie board. You yeah. just got to dive in. Can I say this, though? To her credit... To, to Grace Jones's credit, she's clearly putting tons of effort into it, and she is, if nothing else, making the movie that she wants to make and is being allowed to make it consistently all the way through. Mm-hmm. And no matter what sort of uh, medication she is on, legal or otherwise, <laughs> or how far they had to send the Learjet to bring her back over on the Concorde... <laughs> Right. She does not take a frame off in that movie. She no, is not phoning no. it in at any no. moment whatsoever. She is so it's going like, okay. for it. Yeah. 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 No. She and gave them their money's worth. She gave sure. them their money's worth. To be certain. For sure. Yeah. Erica, what is this? What is Vamp about? I know I've said this before about other films, but I think for me, it's about that once you find a good support staff, a good assistant, a good garbage man, a good bouncer. You hold on to that person forever. Life. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. make mm-hmm. that person immortal because mm-hmm. you will never find a more dedicated person. You have to. You have, you have to. to. That bouncer slash garbage man giving him that backstory that he had been desperately, quietly in love with Grace Jones for forever and right? ever. And then like and then like maybe she had broken up, but he's still so into her that he will continue to work in this dumpy club. And that yes. that one thing where Sandy just throws it, he's like, Look, give it up. She yeah. just uses you as a plaything. All right, all right, all right. I'm like, that's more character development than they did with any of your three human leads. Anybody. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Anybody. yeah. Why did you do that? Yeah. And he'd, he'd been chomping on that cigar since roughly 1877. Yeah. So, like, that cigar. Yeah. It used to be really long. Mouth. It used to be very n- long. He just, just nibbled it down. Just yeah. bit by bit, he was yeah. getting through yeah. that. Uh, it's I, one thing I, to watch. A, it's one thing to watch a filmmaker put the cart before the horse. It's also another thing to watch that same filmmaker just do intricate ivory inlays to the cart to make it as beautiful as possible. <laughs> all, all the ancillary shit has been treated with so much care that it's like, yeah, say your line about you know you're having a bad day. All right, moving on. Print. <laughs> I agree with everything that's been said, but for me, I felt that this movie was about that some strip clubs are about stripping. Some mm-hmm. are about dancing. And yes. some are about just getting through the night. <laughs> Uh-huh. And I feel like the that after dark—that should have been the tagline yes, for the movie, right? <laughs> and the after dark yeah. club had a little mm. bit of all of that. Yeah, you know, they had yeah. some dancers that were into it for the dancing. Grace yeah. Jones, number one. Some of it were stripping, and others are just getting through mm-hmm. the night. Yeah, yeah. it is You're, rough. It is. Yeah. I don't know why, but you, when you said that, you just reminded me a lot of Dave Holmes. Like, listen, listen to me. Sometimes, sometimes there are certain strip clubs. It's, it's just it's about stripping. Some of it about dancing. And some of it is just about getting through the night. I, 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 I hugely appreciate that. I think if it was Dave, it would have been three times funnier and way more eloquent. But I so appreciate that. I will take that to my grave. Being compared, fair enough. Uh, this fair is enough. the letterbox synopsis. 
for Van. Oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, it's no. actually not that wild. Okay. okay. Un- All right. Unbelievably. Okay. Two fraternity pledges. All right. Go to a sleazy bar in search of a stripper for their college friends, unaware it is occupied by vampires. Oh. Okay. Tracking. That's it? That's it. Oh. That's it. Just, just a straight synopsis. Yeah. Wow. Just, yeah. Just meat and potatoes to write wow. down the. They did okay. it. They nailed it. They, they did it. They nailed it. They can good do for it. them. No they're not wrong. Yeah. Here's, here's the fourth guy in your rotation. He just throws 95 mile per hour fastball. Wow. He's going to get great. you to the sixth inning and he's going to go home. That's it. That's wow. It. Yeah. He went in yeah. for some welcome relief, said, yeah. I'm not going to do too much or too little, and uh, that's it. Wow. Hey, uh, yeah. Seven, seven inning stretch. They're, t- they're singing, take me out the ball game. He's in the showers. He's ready. <laughs> He's efficient. He's, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. That's it. That's what the movie's about. Win, win, lose, or extra innings. I'm in a cab before the ninth is over. Uh, that's it. I did my job. And I want to go back to what uh, Brian was saying because I agree. Mm-hmm. This movie to me, and I want to hear your guys' thoughts. I thought this movie started great. That opening scene with the pledge, mm-hmm. I was like, I am into this. This is... Yeah, I do like I do like too that they make Getty... He's the comic relief, but they didn't they didn't lean so much into the, you know, the funny foreigner. He was a rich kid that bought his friends and paid people to like... Yeah. The idea in the 80s of a Japanese character in a college sex comedy paying other people to do his homework is very progressive. Yeah. Yeah. It has yeah. to be. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, even Getty has said, uh, he said yeah. like on the Blu-ray, he, he mentions this is the was the first movie role where he didn't have to do an accent. He had just yeah. been yeah. in 16 Candles, wow. played Long Duck Dong, and yep. he was in Gung Ho. And he's, so he's dressed like Don Johnson from Miami Vice. They gave him <laughs> good shit to yeah. wear. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, I was he was said he was nervous to do the part because he was like, I don't have the accent and I can I be funny without the accent. He was yeah. so used Aww. to doing the accent, but I love this beginning. What did you guys think? Yeah, no, same. It's a, it's a really good beginning for, for all those reasons. And you're like, here we go. Scream. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think everything just passed when they get into town and then they uh, do the very interesting car 360, 780, sure interior to like there's a lot of quick cutting on them mm-hmm. like hey that's that's an interesting thing are there gonna be a lot of these like weird like film school like when i mean film school i don't mean that in a pejorative sense i mean like hey this person is someone that probably watched like a lot of like french new wave movies and mm-hmm. they're just gonna subtly get this stuff there because on the paper it, on the page it just says they're nearly uh run into a car and so they get into a and they spin out and then they're all like real nervous at the end and that guy did that with that and then everything once they like I'll I'll give them all the way up through the diner scene where suddenly the guy who's leaving the diner because he's like oh shit it's dark and he becomes a priest as a way to like this will make me <laughs> yes. safe on the way home. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, yeah, even even uh, Getty's thing of like, yeah, uh, I'm almost finished. I'm a plumber now and like going back in and locking the bathroom. <laughs> Billy Drago. I don't know if this means anything to you guys, but Billy Drago obviously is most famous for playing uh, Frank Nitti in uh, The Untouchables, mm-hmm. that movie. But I can never think of Billy Drago without thinking of my, uh, one of my best friends, Brian Abraham, who I went to, I went to school with. Uh, he just got done with his run uh, playing Hagrid on uh, Broadway. He's in The Cursed Child. He was doing that. Uh, but his mom used to work for Corman and then she, as a producer, and she went off on her own. And the first movie she made was Soccer Dog. Uh, you, you get it. You know what that is. I have to tell you the comps of where they got Soccer Dog from. <laughs> 
oh, Billy Drago's in that, and he plays the villain. I'm like, you put oh, oh he does Frank, in soccer you put dog. He doesn't Frank play the Nitty. loving dad. No, no, he plays the villain in it. <laughs> but it's I, like I, 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 even I then, I'm like, that guy is horrifying. Do you want to put that in a straight to DVD? Watch this with your kids. That guy is. Nightmare mm-hmm. fuel uh, to yeah. see him show up. So I always love Billy Drago. I think just about as soon as they get in, once once the first stripper comes out on stage, I go, oh no, oh no, we, we've run out of whatever ju- juju we had. Uh-huh. Oh no, uh-huh. the juice runs out just a little bit. Mark, yeah. Mark, what right do you there. think of this this uh, this run up here? I liked it, but I could see that there were already some flaws, certainly in Getty or Dun- Getty's character Duncan. I saw some flaws there. For one, he's he's su- supposed to have all this money, but he has a Cadillac Coupe de Ville without a radio. I mean, mm. 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 there are these little mm. these little tells that maybe mm. you don't have as much money as you thought. They say that they're two hours from nowhere. So yeah, right, two hours, right. t- two hours of driving to downtown LA means they're probably going to Cal State San Marcos. Doesn't mm-hmm. I don't think Good they call. have frats Good there. Sure. Also, mm-hmm. you know, great school, but this isn't USC. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying that there's, you know, I, I think that there are some flaws in the plot there that I was right. kind of picking up, mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, you know, could have been a little stronger. But I agree. Once they get there, I liked the scene at the diner. I liked. I, I thought actually the. Oh, I'm just working on the on the. I'm the plumber and I'm working on these pipes. Even though he's dressed like Don Johnson, I thought mm-hmm. it was really funny. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. The putting on the cross and being like, "We got to get out of here." That was a little over the top for me. But mm-hmm. yeah, once we get in the strip club, I'm like, on, okay, straight now on the nose. That was those very real much, like, yeah. yeah, like yeah, like. Or, Have or, you forgotten this is a vampire film? Let us remind <laughs> right, you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. a, that's another good example. When you bring up that uh, that car that Duncan has, first of all, they don't give him an Asian name. They call him Duncan, which I thought again very progressive. To mm-hmm. go back of to my example of like you know putting the cart before the horse and then putting all this mother of pearl inlay into it. There's no radio in the car, but the license plate says one of nine. It's a right. it's a vanity plate giving him backstory and history that he's not only from a large family. So not only does he come from a family of money, it's so much funny that he's the baby of it. Why was so much attention to detail put into so many of the small inconsequential things, and then <laughs> like and then just big like swing and a miss <laughs> like, yeah. for all yes. the stuff that could have like helped you. Yeah. Why the richest it's, man it's, in Riverside? Right. <laughs> it's one thing if you were just hiring people to play strippers because you just went to central casting and said just give me the most beautiful women you have for that time period for that what mm-hmm, was popular mm-hmm, at that mm-hmm. time yeah right. give me someone that looks like they belong in a white snake video and all those women are obviously very like objectively classically attractive but sure. they don't have any of that and so my mind is like do you just not go to to crazy girls on la brea and just be like or the seventh veil on sunset and just like i need five strippers that fit this character type right and they right. come in and just do your act why why were you so like trying to reinvent the wheel at every moment were they too expensive you weren't paying <laughs> right, union wages right. anyone here <laughs> no, no right no right <laughs> it's also for being a movie that takes place mostly in a strip club there is a surprisingly low amount of nudity, which <laughs> yes, I, I was like, that yes. too. Like, like too. this is more it's of a burlesque feet. club than a strip club because yes. they don't mm-hmm. get naked. Yes. Mm-hmm. And also only one song per set, which is <laughs> yeah. not the way to do it. 
but we've already covered that. <laughs> we covered that. Uh, even at Jumbo's we... clown room, even at Jumbo's clown room, where the you girls still have get to put two. their own money. They have to put <laughs> yeah. their own money in the jukebox. They still get two songs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Speaking of a person who works there that has a confusing job, uh, let's talk about Dee Dee Pfeiffer, Michelle's little sister. Uh, who plays? Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. yeah, I did not put that together until right now. Either okay. did I. Yeah, yeah. 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 she. She. Uh, they have another sister and a brother. Oh. Uh, she plays Amaretto slash Allison, and this mm-hmm. is her first lead movie role. I'm sorry, what is her other name? Amaretto. Amaretto. <laughs> Amaretto. 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 You're saying it wrong. Yeah. Amaretto. Yes. Uh, we've had a big, we had a big discussion about how to pronounce Amaretto. Amaretto. Because <laughs> Erica mm-hmm. had a hard time with how to pronounce that. Uh, her first lead role, she goes on from this. She's in The Horror Show, a.k.a. House 3, Mark. Mm-hmm. She yes, was in Red, I, yeah. Red Surf, Falling Down. And then uh, currently she is on the TV show Big Sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was created by her brother-in-law. So, Amaretto. uh, <laughs> Amaretto. <Damn> it, Mark. <laughs> Amaretto. That's how you say it. Amaretto. Damn it. Just want to be clear about that. What are you going to bring true. up next, Nicolas J? <laughs> Lord, just Erica's make sure. He's not the bastard you are. <laughs> A little bit from Teen Vamp. Oh, my God. Oh, you haven't seen Teen Vamp, but if you want oh to remember, God. everybody, it is on our YouTube channel. Check out our YouTube channel, and you can watch Teen Vamp, a movie oh. from 1989 that you have guarantee have oh. never heard of. Never, seen. never heard of. Not the bastard yeah. you yeah. are. Oh, my Lord. They so, have the biggest prosthetics in their mouth. I I didn't realize that... Um, Love it. I'm, <laughs> now I'm going to say it wrong. Amaretto was... Amaretto. <laughs> Amaretto. Sorry. Amaretto. Allison. Yeah. I didn't realize she was like, she's a waitress. I was like, because there are, Amaretto. you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn it, Mark. <laughs> there are women in strip clubs that are just serving drinks. And then there are women that yes. are dancing. Yeah. But she actually, at one point, is up on the stage. And again, getting through the night. Mm-hmm. Because fully clothed though, she, yes. like fully wearing, clothed. A, wearing a t-shirt and leggings, mm-hmm. like somebody like, where you're just like, I, like I, I have to vomit. I don't feel well. Yeah. Can you please take the stage? Just cover for me. I'll be yeah. back in a point minute. of order. Point of order. First of all, DD five again to my exp- uh, to my example of like putting all this effort into tiny things and then ignoring other things. That that reoccurring bit of like her not being able to keep her strap on. Mm-hmm. It's not sexualized in any mm-hmm. way. It's not titillating. She's like, yeah, I know it bothers me too. And it's just that brief strap of her just, blouse like, to be clear to listeners. Yeah, the strap of her not uh, her strap and- on. But just to be clear yes. to our listeners, the strap of her and, blouse. You know, yeah, and and he fixes it for her, which is a very kind, very sort of like thoughtful mm-hmm. like oh yeah there might be some chemistry between these two leads but as someone who uh, used to be engaged to a stripper um uh, there is a <laughs> lot of back and forth of sort of like i i i cannot count i have run out of fingers and toes of how many conversations i've oh everyone's like this yeah <laughs> I'll get, I'll get, I'll fin- what's it like to be engaged to a stripper <laughs> i'll finish my uh, uh, frank gumble approach <laughs> how is it was a stripper. I'll finish my thought and then I'll give you the Cliff Notes version, which will blow your brains out. Yes, uh, there is. There are multiple, multiple conversations I've had of like, yeah, I'm not going to dance anymore. I'm just going to serve drinks, or like, yeah, I told myself that this is good money and I'll serve drinks, but I would never get on stage. Like, there's always a sort of 
fluid mm, nature back mm. and forth of like, hey, rinse light this week. I'll go up and do a couple or just like, I tried it. It's not for me, but you know, then maybe uh, my ex-fiance uh, stripped of crazy girls. Uh, I got addicted to cocaine, owes me four grand. Uh, <laughs> she pawned the ring. Uh, she was in two Skinamax films. One of them you can definitely find because it's the only softcore porn that Tara Patrick ever did. It's called The Seduction of Maxine. Uh, it's under a different number uh, name on, uh, on IMDb. She used it under a fake name, but it is definitely her. Uh, and then uh, the, the one that I win every bar bet that I've ever uh, had where I said, I bet I have a worse breakup story than you do. I bet my bar tab against yours. Feel free to go first and feel free to fucking embellish because you're not going to, uh, you're not going to beat me. Um, she, uh, she, uh, she cheated on me with many me. Oh my God. She took the hotel, she took the hotel room key from Vertroyer Jr. When she met him at the club and, and he had the best cocaine, God rest his soul. So yeah. Wow. And uh, I found this out what, many years later. Once I had uh, I had gotten over it, and then someone was like, "Hey, are you laughing or you're crying about this right now?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm definitely laughing." Like, okay, I've been wanting to tell you for so long because I was there when it happened. Uh, a, a similar roommate at the time, so she came back home the next day, like one o'clock in the afternoon, walked in the front door smoking a cigarette, and that person who shall remain unnamed was like, "And you know, because you gotta ask, you know." Uh, with no intention or hint of irony, just said, I have sunk to a new low and went right back to their bedroom <laughs> and shut the door. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so that, that's, wow. that's a true story. Wow. wow. So this, this is what happens to Keith after this movie. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's just him. Vamp it's just two. Him going. Yeah. You can direct it, Vamp yeah. Two. Yeah. As charmed as we all were with Allison in this one, yeah, she takes a dark turn. Yeah, and... <laughs> yeah. Because wow. I wonder, do you guys wonder this? It, that they give a little hint that she, oh, she might be, she might be vampire. They show bit. the shot in they the. Keep they, that, they keep that thread going yeah, to the very. They definitely you want you to believe know, that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I wonder because isn't it a thing? And I know I'm looking at Ryan because I know he'll correct me on this if it's not. But isn't it a thing? <laughs> He's going full gumble on me right now. <laughs> isn't it a thing, Ryan, when you're a vampire that if the head vampire who turned you into a vampire gets killed, you're uncursed. That is off. It's true. Listen, it plays by different different vampire movies. Play by different rules. Now we have someone in, in, who made yeah. a vampire movie, so I I do not feel like I'm the authority here. But uh, but there are different rules. This movie threw me off by having the rule of fire burns up vampires, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. not an often used yeah. situation where people are like, "Well, just light all the vampires on fire." I don't. That's not one you see a lot. Mm-hmm. So it always depends. It's not a. It's Zombie movies are a little bit more clear, like more often mm. than not. It's like, well, even if they're running or walking, shoot them in the head, they're gone. So, but vampires, yeah. it depends on like, what's our rules this time? Yeah. But I thought the way that she hung mm-hmm. out and watched to make sure that Katrina slash Grace Jones died, like she stayed for it. Uh-huh. He was like, go, go, run away. And she stayed to watch. Like, no, I need to see. So it made yeah, me think, places- ooh, was she a vampire? And then now this is kind of <clears throat> her ticket out. 
That's a very good point. Some places play fast and loose with the fire versus, is it the sun because it's the UV rays or is it because it's fire because it's a natural element of fire and that's, that's what all the mm. sun is. This movie you, plays very fast and loose with all the vampire rules. But now that you say that, it does remind me because I, I was like, when he was like, had the bow and arrow on, he was like, tell me you're not a vampire. She's like, well, what happened was, I'm like, that's, a, that's you should be like that's struggling. That's a yes or no. That. Yeah. Right. Yeah, when Grace Jones dies and he goes, hey, I want to show you something. He's like, oh, it's so bright. I'm like, Wow, you might have been a vampire the mm -hmm. whole time, right? Mm -hmm. But you were just like, mm -hmm. I like this guy so much, and I like, you know, I don't want to. And she is kind of covering the whole time, being like, he probably just ran off with Allison. Let's go back to my place and change. Like mm -hmm. she's she running that game, sucks the blood well off yeah. of his finger, mm -hmm. which is yeah, like, she does. if yeah. you're not a vampire, that's the biggest red flag. That is the giant NASCAR red flag that it's a final mm -hmm. lap kind of thing. Like that is. This is time to end this now because as a, as a man as a man from North Carolina where we learn how to count by saying one, two, Earnhardt, uh, there is no red flag. Oh, well, there's pardon a, me. That's it's a, a checker flag. There's a caution flag. <laughs> yeah, the checker flag shows the end of the race. Then there's a caution flag. There's a green flag where you're allowed to go up again. It's not it's not technically a red flag. I would I I'm gonna blow your mind. I've never I have no idea what the rules are of NASCAR. So I would just, you know, I, Ryan, I know that blows your mind. What's it like to not understand NASCAR? <laughs> what's it like to live? Uh it's fine. It's Most of the time easy. it's not embarrassing, yeah. but sometimes it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, speaking of uh well, it's not embarrassing, but let's talk about Grace Jones's big moment, her big strip tease. Uh, let's she say, has maybe? several big moments. I I think she has yes, few big moments. But this is the big one yeah. where she maybe strip teases. I'm not 100 percent if that's what mm -hmm. it was called, but yeah. it's a performance. Mm -hmm. She performs sure. actually to the song "Vamp." And if you want to talk about, we were saying how Grace Jones her performance is, but she actually comes out to this song. I mean, that is, uh, if you want to call it her only lines in the movie, that is the song Vamp, performed by Grace Jones and written by Grace Jones and Vamp composer Jonathan Elias. So she comes out wow. and strip teases to herself. Her, wow. her song choice is her. Never released, not even put on the film soundtrack. Damn it. Yeah. That is just in wow. this movie. Mm. Yeah. And not a terrible song. In fact, I guarantee... That's going to make its way to the worldies at the end of the year. Oh, my God, uh, yes. In the best song category. I still but, remember. Yeah. I still love. It's so appropriate. Yeah. She's fully a she's vampire. vamping in the song. Oh, trying to attract men. Using <laughs> her charm yes, and wiles. indeed. <laughs> she's absolutely doing that. Mm -hmm. And doing performance art. I mean, yeah. right. I mean, it's the ultimate performance art because she didn't. You, you can't see, it, listen to it anywhere else. The only way yeah. to listen to it is to right. watch her. That's right. Yeah, which you is have to go see. The pretty amazing. Show. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's awesome. And and like you said, for like for the time period, <clears throat> that's not far off from what was popular and successful at the time. There's that's very girls on film sounding mm -hmm. Duran Duran era mm -hmm. to be certain. Of course, sure, yes. of course. 
Though I yeah. did wonder, could she could she have gone out to this song, Mark? That's right. This that is her version of sending the clowns wow. from a wow. little night music from her wow. first album, 1977's portfolio. Oh. Of course, a little night wow. music uh, in 1977 was released to theaters by New World Pictures. Uh, sure. And Grace Jones, I mean, uh, take yet again, take that Elizabeth Taylor because listen, anybody to that version. can sing that song. And, My version uh, totally can send in the clowns. Yeah. The only person that couldn't sing "Send in the Clowns" is the person they cast in a little night music. Holy shit, oh, boy! But uh, anybody's version goes. <laughs> anybody can send in the clowns. Anybody, it doesn't matter oh, anymore. Amazing. amazing. What's crazy to me is that the music behind that. I immediately thought, I was like, oh, is this like a weird disco version of like, darling, if you want me to be closer to you. I was like, oh, shit, was that a cover? Was this, is this the original version? And then you guys all started dying laughing. I was like, oh, that's probably not. Yeah. It's probably well, not a good thing. That is clowns. I wish she Steven had Steven Sondheim and ripped that off, maybe. I mean, Holy shit. I wish. Now yeah. I feel like I want. Brian, you have to make Vamp 2. And there has to be someone comes out I, and strips to that disco version of Sending the Clowns. Honestly, they come out in full clown makeup and then strip. It's funny, as as I was watching the last 30 minutes of it here, I was like, all right, this is getting a little long in the third act. This is going to be a bit. And I have this thing. I have a theory that most of the time people try and remake the wrong movies. They remake movies that were successful the first time and think, oh, we'll just remake it again. We'll just you know hit that beat again. Mm-hmm. To the point where sometimes it's like, I'm a huge fan of the original Manchurian Candidate. I think that's that's in my top ten movies. It's probably my top three of all time. And they remade it with you know, Leif Schreiber and Denzel Washington, but they changed it so much. I'm like, you didn't have to call it Manchurian Candidate. Because who, who fucking knows what Manchuria is in this in the, in the 21st century? But a lot of times mm-hmm. I feel like they really should just remake movies that have most of it there. But just kind of like failed a little bit. Yeah, and it's hard yeah. to talk studios into that. Right. I, for the last 30 minutes of that, I did think of like, all right, someone comes to me and says, hey, Bloodsucking Bastards, we have this in our archives. We want to reboot it on that. I'm like, yeah, I would absolutely take a crack at this. And I would <laughs> What if John Waters made from dusk till dawn? Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fun yeah. one. Let's right. make Roadhouse, but make it. Let's make Roadhouse the gayest Roadhouse that we can possibly. <laughs> I'm down for it. If, if anybody wants it, yeah, send it my way. It's funny yes. you bring up from Dustal Dawn because, of course, Robert Kurtzman came up with an idea, and they and 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 went to Donald Borchers, who produced this, and asked oh, really? him to produce from Dustal Dawn when they were putting it together, and he immediately oh. put it together at Trimark, and uh, for two million dollars, it's a two million dollar budget. And now, I assume Trimark is your next uh, podcast once you get through all the New World <laughs> right, Pictures. Right. Oh, we'll, we'll never they, get they, through all the New World Pictures. We're going to be in New World for so long. We underestimated how many movies they made. We grossly so underestimated many. that. Uh, so Borges sets up From Dust Till Dawn, and then everybody starts figuring mm. out Tarantino not made was making Pulp Fiction. They uh, sure. get involved. Dimension or, or Miramax gets involved. They get a better deal. 
And so they had to go to Borchers and say, hey, look, uh, we're going to kind of go. This is a better deal. Is it okay? Do you mind getting the rights? Now, the reason they're going to him in the first place is because they thought, well, God, if we're going to make From Dust Till Dawn, it's strippers and vampires. We It would be like we're crapping on Borchers because it's such a vamp idea. Mm-hmm. And so what uh, what happens is that Robert Kurtzman says, tell you what, I will make a movie for you for free. And that's how he ends up directing The Demolitionist for oh, nice. uh, for Borchers. And in fairness to all the filmmakers, not once during Vamp, when I was screening it last night, did I ever think of From Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> no. <laughs> not a second. No. It is, did, I can yeah. make, did I make the connection whatsoever? Like, oh, right, strippers it, and vampires are the same yeah. price. Not what's, a single time. What's funny about that story to me too is that it's like, oh, look, look at the look at the time we were in. We were like, well, strippers and vampires. That feels like we're stepping on someone's toes. It's like today would be like, it's, who cares if it's got a lot of the DNA of another movie? We'll make we're it lousy with different. vampires now. We got we got interviews with vampires. We're reading their diaries. We got like it's so much. There's a cat lousy for vampires. Yeah, they glow. Uh, what they they sparkle now? All right, oh, yeah. fuck it, whatever. They glitter. Oh. Glittery. Yeah. But uh, when, let's get into AJ. We talked about the big scene. The big scene is AJ going mm-hmm. and meeting Grace Jones backstage. When oh, he goes gosh. backstage, he sits down on a, what is written in this, like the plot synopsis on on, uh, on Wikipedia is that he's sitting on a waterbed made of blood. I was like, I didn't nope, pick that up what? at all. Oh, no, nope. I didn't get that you, at all. And I went back and rewatched, and rewatched it and he touches, he touches the like yeah. surface. And it's like, it's not a, it's not a waterbed. That is like no. that is no, a, it's like a love cheap seat. massage table. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those a fa- like ornate... a, f- a fainting chair, a, a chaise <laughs> yeah. lounge. Oh. Yeah, oh. I need somewhere yeah. to like just slightly, you know, but I need like this ornate, like curved end to this thing to sort yeah. of bounce she, my she bounce fu- my elbow, she fucks, so that yeah, I can get into my Brian Gumble stance. Yes, <laughs> yeah. She uh, she fucks him. She drains his blood, and then she leans over and talks to Caesar about how they're gonna. What are they gonna do about Gaul? Watch it, Pompey the Great might not like what you're planning, Caesar. <gasps> but the, the other thing that I thought was like, if it is indeed a waterbed, like he touches the surface of it, and he's like, "Well, that's kind of weird." If it is a couch or chair or bed made out of with blood in it, like a waterbed. What would be the point of that? Because if you do decide to enjoy oh, God, the yeah. blood in there, you have ruined the <laughs> the furniture. Yeah, and also too, like then why is she even attacking that dude if she's just got literally a bed full of the <laughs> thing that she eats? <laughs> yeah. I gotta, that's right. like having a refrigerator filled with food and being like, right. ah, I'm gonna walk over to Carl's Jr. <laughs> Just go waste this money eating a lot of horse right. shit. Right. It's really more like never... taking out a filet and grilling it and then throwing it into the garbage and going to a restaurant. Yeah. Like, I always when he touched that? it, I just thought it was sticky and he was like, oh, yeah, that's Yeah, I thought weird. it was sticky too. That's not vampire. That's just because strip clubs are dirty. Like I thought that was right, the narrative right. technique. Yeah. yeah, it was a confusing little moment. Hmm. I wonder if it was just a thing like you know, like for kids, like when they're super into for kids. Hear me out. For kids, for kids, like Yo. when they're into a character. Or great mom, team, like... great mom stuff. Yeah, tell us how this is for kids. <laughs> when they're into like a superhero, and they have, or they're into Star Wars, and they have like Star Wars sheets. She's into blood, so she has a blood bag. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's good. That's. I a, thought for a second you're like, no, 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 they're 11 years old, but you can take them. You're good. You're dead, <laughs> great. You got it. Take their blood. Take their blood. Take but the Ryan, blood. Ha- It'll be good for you. 
Ryan, have you ever grilled a filet and then slept on it later that night? I mean, you'll never go back. It's amazing. <laughs> the neck support. My God. It's unbelievable. <laughs> when we get at the strip club, it's like <laughs> Erica said to me as we were watching it, she said, this is the longest strip club scene I've ever seen. It was. I was just like at the strip club for so. You mean like the next hour of the movie? Second, yeah, Yeah. you're in there for a second. You maybe see a glimpse. We were in there forever. Yeah, I've seen all the magic mics and all the magic mics. They didn't stay in the strip club as long as they did in Bam. No, most most movies like walk through the strip club on their way to the bathroom where the drug deal is or whatever the story is. It's gonna really upset movie people too to hear. And cinephiles to hear that I haven't seen any of the Godfathers, but I've seen all the magic mics. How upset are people right now? They're so furious. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what the Manchurian candidate means, but I've seen all the magic mics. It's fantastic. If you don't like Frank Sinatra or Kung Fu fighting, then you don't like cinema, my friend. You will want to see the Manchurian candidate. It's a good one. Oh, also... Now, because you mentioned like how much time spending in strip clubs and then just being bored with it. Uh, when I would have to go and visit my gal uh, at Crazy Girls, you got sat. At, if, you, if you were cool, some of the fr- some of the husbands and boyfriends weren't allowed to come in. It's like, hey, man, you can't get upset if your girl's dancing for somebody. That's her job. That's our business here, what we do. But if you were fine about it, they would put you off into the, the, the husbands and boyfriends table. And I can't uh, – I think – this happened a couple times. I was at the table a couple of times and like uh, the guys that are going, you know what? The food here's not that bad. <clears throat> yeah, but the table. I got it from thing. Linguini. The table. The table is me. The table is me, Peter Green, who had a very bad heroin addiction at the time. So he like, I think oh, yeah. Peter Green told me five times he was dying of cancer. I was like, buddy, I'm from a large Irish Catholic family. I know what this is going on right now. So it's me, Peter Green. Rob Zombie and then Alan and Robin Thicke because they wingman for each other. Oh, uh, wow. no. oh yeah, oh. true story. Wow. So yeah, wow. yeah. When wow. all that stuff went down with Robin Thicke, I was like, not surprised. Wow, <laughs> that no guy shit. Does not keep it together. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's like it's very weird. Like all those guys are wildly famous, and there's just me, and I'm just like. Oh uh, yeah, no, I'm a film director. Yeah, I was in bands too, Rob, but not like you, right? Like it's all. Like that. <laughs> wow. Okay. Anyway, we, we got that we is, got more movie to talk about. That is one of the <laughs> that is that is a wild celebrity poker table right there that you were involved in. <laughs> I'm sure Michael Bunin has uh, more interesting actual celebrity poker table stories. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> oh boy. And so I just have this wild. question to ask you guys: If you went to a strip club with, and your friend disappeared. And then you mm-hmm. went to a motel and you were almost killed by an elevator. And then you got chased into the sewers and then you got out of the sewers and you were chased by a gang and hit in a garbage can. And then you found your friend and he was dead in the garbage can. And then you got out of the garbage can. And then you were almost killed by a garbage truck. Would your first instinct be to go back into the club where your friend was killed and then just splash a little water on your face and then maybe sit for a spell in a stall and just collect yourself? Would that be what you did? No, I would chase down that Altadena milkman and be like, hey, can, can you get me the fuck out of here? What? A, what are you doing delivering milk at night? 
<laughs> in the nineteen eighties. Thirty years right. past when that happened. Nightly night because, because, night because this is the last th- there's only five people on his route in the nineteen eighties. So you oh will deliver yeah. whenever. Right. Because yeah. Altadena, it was founded in nineteen forty five in Monrovia. <laughs> Started oh, by three yeah. brothers, Elmer, Crunching Edgar, and Harold Stuyvie. St- St- they started working with only on six- that night milk. <laughs> <laughs> they started with only sixty-one uh, cows in one truck, and they wow. are still Send in business. In the milk. <laughs> They're still in business, Send but they are now owned by a farmer Amazing. co-op, so no yeah. longer. Yeah. Family I thought that whole Mark. That's a great crunch. Look that at is you. a great crunch, Mark. Well, well done. Crunch the Altadena milk. We love it. We love to see it. I thought that that was a, a section where we were suddenly, because he goes from that, we see that that milk delivery guy, and we go over to the hotel, and you see he's like on a switchboard, the guy. He's like, let me call yeah, up, yeah. and he's on a switchboard. Yeah. It's like, did we yeah. just take a time machine back to the fucking 1940s? Maybe it's that. What's it's, happening? It's the, influ- it's the influence of Stephen King, where everything is simultaneously the 80s and the 50s at the same time. But also, like they've yeah. been there forever. It's a good point. Right? They had been there yeah. forever. Was that the, the, the mm-hmm. was that them sneaking in the fact that like we've been doing this for so long, we've just never adapted to to the new way? Well, the guy that ran the club, mm. been, he said this is the first dr- this is the first alcoholic drink I've had, I've had in seventy five years. years. So yeah, longer than that. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So huh. yeah. Um, but well, much, would, much, would you would you go that? and have a sit uh, though in that stall, Erica, or no? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> After all that shit had gone down, you would go sit in the bathroom and... Well, I mean, I would sit like... in there, but might I splash some water in my face and make myself look presentable to continue the night? Perhaps. <laughs> to continue, like... Perhaps. Not racing out. Well, Mark, you were saying, can, I'm sorry. I, no, I, I, I'm i sorry. I didn't. I wasn't trying to interrupt. Uh, I, I, but take away everything that you just described leading up to that moment. I'd be hard-pressed to just stop and sit with my pants on on a dirty public <laughs> toilet and have yes. a thing. Yes. <laughs> like, like, yes. <laughs> it may take that succession of things to happen to me for me to yeah. be like, yeah. To finally go, you know what? I'm I gonna, have gone through so much. I'll I'm going to sit on this toilet seat with my and pants just think about on. With yeah. my pants on. And so just that think my about pants things. can sit and absorb whatever, whatever is, is on, on this toilet seat. and just right. soak it up. And then I can right. feel it against my skin. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The pants. Mm-hmm. I do. I do the. Uh, again, this is just comes from my experience. Much like hippies, you never go with a stripper to a second location. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know of a friend that's having a party, and like, you get there, and you're just like, "This is a crack house. <laughs> <laughs> you are here to. You are here to score, and you have been uh, maintaining good up to this point. I got to get out of here." And I thought maybe when he goes back to the strip club, okay, he's gone through a lot of shit. He clearly knows his friend is dead. He's going to go back and get his buddy. And, I mean, we also know the real reason why he's doing this because they could only have so many locations. So I get it. That's yes. why we have to kind of do the circuitous route where we go a few places, but we really go nowhere. We end up back where we were to begin with. But, well, but you just it, said that you, you just said about his friend being dead. That is a plot hole that really, really bugged me where he found his friend dead at the dumpster and his friend comes back as a vampire. I'm like, well, then who fucked up here? That they right. thought he was actually a corpse. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. These guys have been dumping bodies for forever and ever. They can't tell the difference between a corpse and someone who's been turned. Isn't that, that on Grace Jones? Because Grace Jones yeah. didn't do she turned him, not yeah. totally killed him, right? And exactly. didn't drain him too fully. Exactly. So that would be on her, I guess maybe wanting to keep him around. We he does reconnect with Allison, 
uh, Amaretto. Mm-hmm. And she does, though, we do eventually get this connection because the whole movie she's been saying we know each other and he's not known her as Brian was yeah. saying. He's trying to be very polite about it. We finally do get a confession, though. My name. I'm Allison. And Allison Hicks, remember Seaside Heights? Summer vacation, fifth grade, we were in Sue Leonard's basement. We were playing spin the bottle and, and I spun and it landed on Moose and you kind of pushed the bottle and I didn't have to kiss him. I ended up kissing you, remember now? <laughs> you have incredible timing. Thanks. Um, fifth grade. <laughs> so... This, this, she's like, you don't remember me, and she's spinning the bottle and being like, remember, like, first of all, let me just deal with fifth grade. Did you guys spin the bottle at that age? No, that's too young for spin. That's the bottle. too young for spin the bottle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I would not have known. To, I didn't know that mm-hmm. game existed. And if yep. someone said let's play it, I would have been like, uh, I, I no. Mm-mm. Yeah, no. I, mm-hmm. I would not have been. Even if you like I mean, girls at that point, you'd be like, "This, that's too much pressure." Oh no, 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 no. too much pressure. pressure. I would be Dude, way too, too much pressure. freaked out. Yeah. I you guys can see how out. cool and hip I am now, but um, <laughs> <laughs> try to just suspend your disbelief for a second. In fifth grade, I wouldn't have been invited to a party where spin the bottle was an option. I, I was still playing that. with Barbies. That. So. There wasn't a party that I was invited right. to where right. I didn't. That was I didn't happening. bump on the fifth grade. I didn't bump on the fifth grade thing. But as you know, listen, there are there are several improv teacher and coaches in this uh, in this chat right now. I my thing was like, you can't bring up a character like Moose this late in the game, and not, <laughs> yeah. you don't have the time to explore yeah. that. What are you doing? We're in the third beat of the Herald. You can't bring yeah. who's right. this Moose bear. Right. You can't talk about a person who's off stage that's more interesting than the two people we're talking right now. Come on. Because now we got to explore on. the moose and we've got to do a series of tags and go through what yeah. the whole moose part is mm-hmm. and hopefully round it out to get back into what the whole show was about. I, I hear you, Mark. But let's say in fifth grade you were more advanced and you ran with a more advanced <laughs> sure, crew of people. Sure, sure, okay? sure, sure. Fast forward, you're now in college. And right. you run into someone that you played spin the bottle with one summer at one time, a in full decade grade. ago, a right. full decade are, ago. Are you going to remember that? Right. And why was that moment significant? Why was right. it like we maybe we can rekindle the flames of that we found at eleven? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like. Right. right. Huh? Maybe that's a. Maybe he's not being kind. Maybe he's just like. Yeah, for you that was a big deal. For me, that was Tuesday. <laughs> right? Like maybe that's his thing of just like, yeah, I'll remember you. That's too weird. His only holdup is, is like, weird. I'm just not a hundred percent. You're a vampire now. Otherwise, yeah. the best offer I'm getting is a girl that said, Hey, we kissed once when we were in fifth grade. He's going, Right. Oh, yeah. Shit. Okay. I got uh I'm not saying no to that. It's the, it's also the one time that his dismissiveness is earned because he looks down the alley and there's like the the gang members who are running towards him who may or may not be vampires as well. They have never I made that clear. I don't. Yeah. Yes, I don't uh, know. And he's like, "Your timing is great. Did you notice I'm trying to get into the fucking sewer? That's that serious that yeah. we're trying to get down, down to where Chud lives. Oh, that'd have been great to have the oh, new world pictures pull that together. Yes, like yes. there's Chud down there. There's you just Chud. need one shot of Chud, and you've got like a whole HP Lovecraftian mm-hmm. Cthulhu universe. Yeah, they could have played yep. with. Yeah, perfect. Missed opportunity by New World Pictures. Absolutely, that was a that was a huge. That was they should have known better. They they mm. of all people should have known better. The, uh, <laughs> here's before, the experts for you. 
we uh, just while we close this this section out before we move on, I think it's important if you're a vampire to keep your barrels of flammable liquid away from the room where you all sleep. Thank you. Probably <laughs> just a good tip. Just a good tip. To do what? Yeah. Why were those barrels there? I thought it was a bunch of barrels of massage oil because they're vampires and they're trying to look luxurious before they go to their sleeping place. Hey, hey is, how many is, times yes. does that guy have to say that it's a classy strip joint? Yeah. It's yeah. not a massage parlor. <laughs> the first thing when Robert Rustler is, is, is comes back and he's a vampire, the girl is massaging him as he's yeah. sitting at her, you know, at her makeup table or whatever yeah. it is. With no mirrors, which with I no thought mirrors. was a well done. Yeah, with, that's with, the neon with very well done. Light so they could see what they're doing, but no mirrors. I love yeah. it. Yeah. I love it. Uh, so apparently Again, they're attention in the to the best details right. and then nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. Oh, but now I think it is time. Yes. It yes. is time for things we loved and things okay. we hated. We're going to talk gotcha. about the things we loved and the things we hated about Vamp. Mark, what is something that you mm-hmm. love? Um, I, I think one of the easiest things is I loved the uh i i did love the wild color palette that they chose yeah um, and i know we yep. talked about it already so there's i'm, I'm not going to belabor it no, but yeah yeah it, the fact that it doesn't it's not necessary at all mm-hmm. it doesn't add anything except mm-hmm. some stylistic flair um but they are consistently lighting Every alleyway, every building, every sewer tunnel, everything in these gaudy uh, fluorescent lights. And at least to me, and I I, I know we first do things we loved and then we get to things we hated. I mean, I've been on the podcast for a little while. I know how this thing works, but um, he's figuring it out. I'm figuring it out. But like. (laughs) <laughs> what happened to me if one of the things i hated is i think this movie's a little long mm-hmm. but the but mm-hmm. this the the choices too of the colors and some interesting camera angles a lot of tilted camera for for no reason it, i don't know why they're mm-hmm. doing it except like oh that's that's a choice um at least it gives you something stylistically to watch when things do kind of at a certain point in this movie i felt and I, I'm not a filmmaker, nor do I claim to be. So I don't. I'm sure that there are, there are very logical reasons for this, that, or or you know reasons that a filmmaker would understand why. I was like this move for for this movie doing a lot of things. It feels like it's doing a lot of nothing. And at mm-hmm. a certain point, I'm like, when is this thing going to get going? Because mm-hmm. we're spending a lot of time going over here, and then we're going to go over here, and then we're going to go over here, we're going to go over here, mm-hmm. but not a whole lot is happening. Um. So at least the colors gave me something to watch during. Yeah, those yeah, yeah. Is that something? Like I, 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 Boc, yeah. is that something like when you're in the second act, you are thinking about when the next death comes? Because that was the thing that I was thinking. Like we were missing a death or two. Like we, we for yeah. sure, you for know, sure. Are you we like did... trying editing, trying to go? What, how much time do we need before we get to the next one? Oh, for sure. I have a degree in editing, so I'm always looking for like where I can shave off six frames here, eight frames there. This movie didn't have a lot of bad editing, but I do agree that with Mark that like it was overly long, and I agree with you that it was missing some some deaths here and there. Uh, like you know, for the Dutch angles and stuff, and most of them weren't like super pronounced. It fits for the horror genre. It definitely fits for like sort of the Roger Corman. Uh, old Hammer Studios type of vibe they were going for. Normally, that color palette of 
bright day-glow green, pink, and purple that it was everywhere is usually annoying to me. Now that you brought it up, actually, Mark, it makes me think of like, oh, this is probably what Rob Zombie was trying to go for, that level of yeah, camp that yeah. he was trying to go for in the, yep. in the Monsters, and then just swinging a miss on that, for to be certain. <laughs> uh, because it's almost too brightly lit. It doesn't do enough shadows the way that Vamp does and knows it. Uh, I feel like once the, once the top... Once you've killed the first person, you have to have that sort of steady stream of bodies mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. raise the stakes. Sure. And, and again, this is an example of a movie that had it there, but <clears throat> didn't quite execute it. But the filmmaker, again, if it's his first one time, first time writing, directing, yeah, he probably made some mistakes. He had some experience, and then he went on to write a lot of other really good, successful stuff. I like the Equalizer movies. Pedro was in the second Me one. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, it was. Good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. And, I'll, and also just people can know narrative storytelling and just be like, you know what? I'm a great writer. I, I Directing's not my thing. Directing's not my call. It's not good. And that happens for a dozen different reasons. He did I, go I on to direct guys... a couple other movies, but he did not yeah. direct other comedies or horror films. So. Yeah. And he would, I think, like, one, be the first, one of the first people to admit that he wasn't particularly into doing a horror film, but that was the opportunity that he got. Yeah, like a, a, a good example of like a positive version of that, or like a or sort of like a semi bittersweet version of that. The composer on Blood Second Bastard was a guy by the Anton Senko, and he was really really great. I loved working with him. He just did a movie called The Half of Me that my my friend Alice Alice Wu from San Francisco uh, wrote. It's on Netflix. It's really really great, like coming of age story, kind of a um, uh, a Cyrano de Bergerac for a lesbian teenager trying to help this guy say the right things to the girl that she has a crush on kind of deal. But uh, what I really love of Anton stuff that I knew him from was a movie called Scotland PA, which mm -hmm. is an indie mm -hmm. movie. Yeah. Which is uh, like a Macbeth. Uh, it was a Mac yeah, Very Macbeth much. Rip. Since none of us yeah. are in a theater right now, we can say the title. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he told me a fun story about being at a, a film festival with the director sitting on stage. They had just done the screening. They're getting a standing ovation. They're sitting down on stage to do the Q&A afterwards, and the director leaned over to Anton and he said, you're looking at the man that just directed his last feature film. Like, he hated the whole process. Wow. He hated, like, like being in front of people and talking about stuff. I'm like, oh, there's a, there's a million different reasons why someone mm. stops directing a movie. Uh -huh. So I just didn't want uh -huh. the idea of, like, us going, like, this guy's terrible directing. No, it's his first one. He went on to do other great stuff. This just wasn't quite his style like he found his style yeah as he kind of got out of directing got into more just screenwriting mm. i think he found his groove this just someone offered quite... him money to make a movie and he said yes like he should have absolutely, right? like, absolutely. don't say no you don't you don't turn yeah. that down yep boc is this is that what's yeah. something that you loved oh i will tell you the thing that i love the most the thing I thought was the funniest shit that i had to stop the movie i laughed for a good solid five minutes it made it not only talking to you guys, obviously this is the gravy. This is the roar talking to you guys. But watching that movie, I watching that movie, I said this moment it made it all worth it. So the part where they is found out and he's trying to get his two friends out of there. At one point, he turns to the side and says, "Hey, call the cops! All these people are vampires!" And then two voices come from mm -hmm. off screen, mm -hmm. and the first one gets first one says, "Eat shit, motherfucker!" or something like that. But the second one says. Doesn't make them bad people, and I <laughs> died. <laughs> that that is yeah, so funny. Terrific. If someone yeah. started, if again, I'm gonna go back to the improv thing because that's how we all know each other. If someone started a scene in class that I was teaching, and they said, "Hey, call the cops! All these people are vampires," and the other person shot back right out the holster with, "Doesn't make them bad people." 
I no notes. Like right, yeah, that's a great start. It's yeah. a great you're not start. negating your scene partner technically, but you're also not really giving them what they wanted. But who? But gives also, a shit? what a gift of a point of view, right? Because yeah. like, I've been say, I've been saying, I've been saying, doesn't make bad people all day, right? It is right. so. I also so want funny to, to me. know who that again. This is a this is now we're introducing somebody in too late in the game. But what is that guy all about? Oh, I'm confident. I'm confident that is that is just the guys who work at the fucking looping station that this oh, production for rendered. sure, for sure. But I'm just saying, I want to see who that character is, and I want to go on a ride with them for yeah. a while. Yeah, <laughs> want to go on a ride yeah. along. Yeah, Erica, so funny. Uh, Erica, so what funny. is something you loved? Agreed. That's Woo! so great. We already touched on a lot of a lot of things, but really, I really loved the two that run the After Dark Club. Mm, I just love okay. their yeah. dynamic. I love those two. Vlad and Vic. Vlad, Vlad is the one with the, with the cigar, and Vic is the one who keeps wanting to run off to Vegas. Yes. I thought that was yes. great. I loved all the little touches of Vegas at the end that you got to see inside of his office mm-hmm, when they were having mm-hmm. the, like his final drink. I just yeah. I really like those two guys because usually those are like throwaway characters or they're like yeah, so gross totally. and sleazy that you almost like can't wait for them to... Yeah get killed in the movie and it did i was also i was sort of like oh that's yeah. oh, I vic, want him to go. vic is played by sandy baron who's a comedian and an actor mm-hmm. and that part was originally supposed to be and was cat where they wanted to cast jerry lewis yeah and, and jerry really? lewis was interested oh, and somebody in new world was like we can't cast jerry yeah. lewis because that would only do well in in France, yeah, yeah. So they didn't. No one will take. No one will take us seriously, right? <laughs> so they didn't take him, and they got Sandy Baron. And Sandy Baron was also in the Corman produced Targets, the Peter mm-hmm. Bogdanovich oh. movie. He, His first movie, yeah. He was in and narrated Broadway Danny Rose, and he mm-hmm. uh, had the is most known probably to people of a certain generation, or even some of the newer generation, uh, from his ro- his recurring role on Seinfeld. So yeah. for many yeah. years, so he was on Seinfeld. So that's where I love he's... that. I love that scene too. I had a lot of like, oh. I also love the stuntman switch, which I thought was great. Uh, the the glass is on fire. He takes a sip and then he puts it back down. It's just the arm from here to there. Where clearly that's the stuntman because he's covered in the, yeah. in the goo. I I love too, and I know this is maybe not your favorite, Brian, but but I love the neon colors like Mark, and so I'm gonna quickly. Just I did tell too. You, I'm going to tell like you why this. why this all happened. This is the DP. Uh, this is the uh, debt to our DP Elliot Davis, who prior to this had been a camera operator on specifically Tough Turf, which is a, a film that Borchers produced. Mm-hmm. So he gives him his chance to be a DP. He's gone on and had a very long career. He had been a uh, uh, he had been a camera operator on Something Wicked This Way Comes and The Outsiders, a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Then he gets a DP. This and he goes on from this. He works with Soderbergh, starting with King of the Hill, goes through uh, Out of Sight. He was a DP on Daniel oh. Waters' first uh, directorial debut of Happy Campers. He this was the DP on the first Twilight film. He worked on two movies Ooh. with Catherine Hardwick. Okay. And he okay. most okay. recently was the DP on Ho- Hocus Pocus 2. A similar style of lighting, to yeah. be certain. Yeah. 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 Uh, during this production, Davis's father passed. So he had to leave for a week. And during that time... Uh, they brought in Stephen Burham, who was on, who was the DP on Something Wicked This Way Comes and Eight mm-hmm. Million Ways to Die, and Davis was the camera operator on those on those shows. And Burham's next film after this is The Untouchables with Billy Drago. Oh wow! Hmm. Wow! And so he comes in for a week. I don't know what he shot, but 
they we were all in good hands. I think the DP work on this is terrific. Mm-hmm. Donald Borchers explains this on a on an interview on his YouTube page. So go check out his YouTube page if you want to hear the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Davis mm-hmm. wanted to shoot the movie in black and white, and of course, New World was like, no, no, uh, <laughs> no way. Uh, That's so a Dav- vastly different movie. That's right. a vastly mm-hmm. different movie. Uh, and so Davis shifted because he was saying, well, really, if we look want to look at it, mm-hmm. black and white is just a bichromatic representation. And so if I switch to bright green and magenta, that is also similarly a bichromatic representation. So he said, let's just do these two color schemes. And it is almost like we are painting it like a black and white film, but it's not a black and white film. So that is something I thought was, I love that, that, that whole color scheme. I know it's very eighties. I know, but I still thought that gave such a style to this movie, as we've all said, Mm. I think there's a lot in this movie it gets so right. And then a lot of stuff, it just loses its way essentially. And so, yeah. but the style of the movie Concur. carries so much of the film, mm-hmm. especially when they get to the sewers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially when yeah. they get to the sewers. They, they use it very well down there. They use it. The use of shadow is great. The low angle tracking backward shots when people are walking towards it. There's a couple of shots of him in full, at the end, it doesn't know where else to go, and it's either slightly Dutch angled or he's perfectly centered in the in the uh, in the circle of the sewer behind him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The production design is great because it's they've got the right like hand the steel rebar handholds, mm-hmm. and a, there's a couple of points where I'm like, are they shooting it in just a sewer? The only time I felt bad about the production, I was like, guys, they got a little close with some of the Molotov cocktails to. Uh, actresses who were scantily clad and clearly not stunt performers. So when he's just like, and now it's on fire, they're like, ah! and I'm like, that's not a, that's not a flame bar. That is a wide shot of someone throwing a, 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 a flammable breakable thing of liquid and just hoping it's two feet away from a person who could get third degree burns right. all over their body. Jesus Christ guys. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe figure out a different way to shoot that. Uh, another thing I just another quick, quick thing that I loved is uh, Grace Jones's uh, blue melty face. That was a pretty yeah. wonderful yeah. little. Yeah. With I the love... final like skeleton middle finger. The finger, yeah. The finger. I mean, that's uh... a lot of this movie was was missing that that sort of like hey, we know we're being kind of silly and here's some more tongue-in-cheek <laughs> stuff. Mm-hmm. So they were doing it, but they were never just doing it far enough. And I was just like, is this is, is right. this, is this Sam Raimi or is this John Waters? What do you yeah, want right, it to be? Right, yeah. Where is, right. the, where is yes. that extra Evil Dead-esque-ness to it where I go, yeah. oh, good. I, I'm being told this is how I need to enjoy this movie. Yeah. I never got to that. Mm-hmm. There, there was mm-hmm. no point where like he splashed water on his face and said, you're okay, you're okay. And he was like, your buddy's a vampire. Do you think you're fucking okay <laughs> yeah, right, right now? He didn't like, see his reflection oh, right. in the mirror. Right? Yeah. 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 None um, of that. The things we hated, real quick. Things we hated. Uh, BOC, what did you hate? Um, I hated that they didn't get the extra time and money they needed to just take that extra step because like like you're saying like a, a person that clearly understands action that scene at the end where the the cars are coming down on him and he's like testing or whether or not like that guy who's the drunk guy who's just getting his car and is going to get out of the parallel parking so he'll have a way to get out the way that editing the shooting of that i'm like that's straight up duel like that looks like spielberg's mm-hmm, movie mm-hmm. there's a lot of good and that's the kind of thing as i know from someone who has made indie movies with with smaller budgets and not as many days as you want we wanted eight. Uh, we got eighteen 
days of principal photography on Bloodsucking Bastards. I wanted 20. I fought for 20. I got 18. Some of the producers wanted 15. I said, you need a different director then because that's not going to happen. We're not going to make our days with that. But so when I see stuff like that, I'm like, oh man, if they had just had like three more days and like 25 more grand, we probably would have gotten a lot more of that because Mm -hmm, that sequence, mm -hmm. the sequence of him nearly getting crushed in the elevator, I'm like, there's good cinematography and editing if you give those the, the DP and the editor enough footage to work with. And this director was clearly able to give them that kind of footage. I, I bet that fight sequence in the cafe early on with Snow, uh, with with Billy Drago and the rest, I bet that had to be cut down to nothing. And there was a bunch of stuff that they yeah. wanted to do because you don't start with grabbing a guy by the balls and then just go, <laughs> all right, let's get out of here, right? Yeah. And then they're outside. Yeah. They're like, yeah, and you're down. <laughs> right. All right, let's get into the car. Let's mosey along. I wish that's the thing I hated. I th- that might sound like a compound, but I really did hate the fact that I was like, oh, buddy, I bet if they had just gotten three more days and, a, and 20 to 30 grand more, they could. They could have done a lot more stuff like that, and we'd be talking about it in the same way that we talk about Reanimator, or the same way that we talk about the the first Evil Dead, where it's like you see its flaws, but you definitely see its genius. Mm-hmm. And then he might have been able to make he might have been able to make Vamp too, and that would have been his Evil Dead too, where he's sure, like, sure. Okay, now I've got a little bit under my belt. Now I know a little bit how much longer certain effects are going to take and all that. I'm mm-hmm. going to hire someone that's not going to fuck off to France for three days. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, God, God knows, God knows yeah. uh, what would happen there. Erica, what did you hate? I think really the the second half was was a struggle for me. We've already kind of, I feel like, covered that. But the thing I really hated the most was the whole, was the hotel. <laughs> I, I didn't care for that. I thought, I just mm, felt like a mm. waste of time. And like, mm-hmm. was it a haunted hotel? Mm-hmm. Was it yeah. the hotel manager that was running the elevator or the, or the elevator operator? Why did his life need to be in danger in that hotel? It didn't, I just... I felt like it was just a huge distraction. Mm-hmm. So if you made the, if, yeah, if you made the strip, I know because you need to have multiple locations, but also you can keep things concise. Like in Bloodsucking Bastards, we never leave. Yeah, we have two scenes: yeah. one one that's outside, and then one that's in uh, her apartment. And you go to the parking garage, you know, very was, briefly. Was in it. That yeah. was in it. That was also right. like we, but we made that up out of a. Right, yeah, right, right. It wasn't we, an actual was parking a, garage, but yes. No, it was a warehouse, yeah. yeah. So if they had just narratively had the, the forethought to be like, all right, why don't we just make it like uh, a flop house as well where the strip club is on the bottom and all the girls live upstairs. Yeah. Then you have your elevator. Then that yep. place is still, of course, that whole place is going to be dangerous. And of course, there would be a guy there who'd be like, let me buzz you in. Are you staying tonight or forever? Right. You can have yeah. those. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, totally agree. Yeah. And it just felt distracting. Like it's yeah. deviated yeah. from it and it sort of slowed it down and it raised more questions. Yeah. And they yeah, do ride an, an elevator, elevator Yeah. Well, they ride an elevator yeah. later when they go into the basement of the club and then they yeah. take the like service elevator. So I'm like, why didn't he almost get his head crushed there? Like it did. Just, yeah. 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 Missed opportunity there to have it in the same building. Cause if they had gone downstairs, mm-hmm. like have hell be in the basement. Mm-hmm. Yes. You're an on the nose type of movie. Just yes. have hell be the basement. Yes. Right? Yes. Or have the sewers underneath the basement. Yeah, that's where totally. Crypt, that's where their crypt is. And then you can justify that's why they're storing all the oil because that's the that's the gas for the for the generator upstairs so yeah. that the lights can run for the girls. There you yeah. go. Solved. There you go. Solved. Done. Solved. Solved it. <laughs> Solved it. Well, my <laughs> issue is you're going to have Billy Drago in your movie, but he's not a vampire? I don't get that. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's the yeah. point? Uh, yeah. That's the point. 
Billy um, Drago and Grace Jones as like sort of a should have divorced ten hundred uh, a thousand uh-huh, years ago, but they're uh-huh. both vampires. Right. Yeah. So she's he's like he doesn't care if she does, but like when she turns him, he's like mm, you can have him for food. But I felt like her showing up full white like like Daryl Hannah and Blade Runner. And then re- and taking off the makeup and revealing that she's black for anyone watching who doesn't know Grace Jones is. And then having Billy Drago, who looks like that in real fucking life, mm-hmm. be her husband, <clears throat> her yeah. undead husband. And like, yeah, you could have replaced as much as we loved Vic um, and Vlad, replace mm-hmm. Vlad with Billy Drago. And you're like, let it go, man. She's more. And he's like, and I'm like, yo, Billy Drago's going to kill that guy. Right. Yeah. There you go. It's really, yeah. you start to see a little bit of Richard Wank and how he kind of is more into sort of the action thing when you see that they're sort of a gang and they're just there to kind of keep moving the characters from place to place and kind of add extra tension. Though, as you were saying, BOC, like the tension should be brought out by all the vampires in the strip club. So that's mm-hmm. what should be cranking this stuff up, not this action stuff, but that's where his mind naturally lends itself. So that's I have where a he's theory going. about that. I have a theory about that because it's not really well defined. We're sort of all bumping on it. My theory on that is that was either a producer or a distributor call that they're like, we want something like the Warriors or Escape from New York where these these roving gangs, they look scary and dangerous. And that was the director trying to give them what they wanted, but not like understanding it or really being super enthused about the idea. So he did just enough because there's only so many battles you can find. That's my theory. The reason why that movie doesn't stay more contained is just these three against these vampires and all that. Why are we going out here to not, to not make the movie feel small? Okay, that makes sense. Why are these guys chasing and all that? Because the uh, because the, the because the financier says like I want my gangs, I want my warriors, I, I need, want my. We need we need to fit guys. Billy Drago in here. Yeah. We just need to, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah. All right, let's let's yeah. move on to our favorite scene. Um, Mark, what's your favorite scene? Um, my favorite scene is definitely the death of Katrina or, or Grace Jones, because it is, it's everything that we talked about in that it's a long death scene. She gets like melts down to a blue face. It's, it takes Mm -hmm. much longer than you would expect. And this is where I, 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 you know, the, the fact that it's a comedy, but it takes him a while to, to lean into, you see the hand, her skeletal hand reaching out. And at that point you're kind of thinking, mm-hmm. or at least I was thinking like, when is she going to die? Like she's been melting for a while here. <laughs> now the hand's reaching out yeah. and then yeah. the hand comes back and it does the middle finger that we're talking about. But if you look down the bottom of the screen, you can see regular hands moving the, the skeletal hand. Oh, can, oh I didn't I notice like, that. Now that, that is amazing. You like? Yeah. Oh my god! Very visible. That. You can see the hand working the puppet in the in the bottom oh corner of the screen. Yes. So yeah, I not only was that, I enjoying I've seen it, all the magic mics. And I didn't <laughs> that. So that's yeah, that's I mean, interesting. Uh, so there's uh, <laughs> so there's something to go back and look for. Wow. Boc, what was what was your favorite your favorite scene? Uh, I have a thing that. I've, I've pitched in my film school because if they want me to come back and teach like a, a, a one-off workshop or something like that, uh, I, I want to teach a directing class that is like the first time you're going to get to direct a feature as a young as a young person coming around a film school, it's probably going to be something in the genre space. It's probably going to be something where you don't have a lot of money or a lot of time. So how can you take something that is good on paper, has some good ideas to it, and sort of avoid these pitfalls? 
And so the way that we have it structured there is like I would teach I would teach three movies. I would show them movies that were technically good on paper and had the right a good cast and all that kind of stuff, but just weren't executed directorially well. And those three movies that I've chosen for that uh, that class I want to teach is um, Free Jack, Striking Distance, and a movie called Money Plane that a lot of the uh, the Lawrence brothers did along with uh, uh, Edge of WWE Superstar. All those movies have great cast, great yep. concepts. Great idea, great budgets, uh, uh, all the stuff on paper. They just suffer from a lack of direction. So I would make them watch the class. I would make them watch the movie. We would discuss it. I would let them choose a uh, scene from that movie, shoot it on their own the next week in class on the stage, and then they would edit it the third week, and we would watch it and be like, okay, what different choices did you make to try and uh, uh, avoid these pitfalls that this previous director made? And I'm always on the lookout for little things that can help that. I think I would choose that scene of them. He's like, you got to kill me. That long, good, the one I was yep. like, you put Jake Gyllenhaal mm-hmm. and Tobey Maguire in that, and that's yep. a good long piece. That's a scene that I would give them the script, have them shoot it. Because on paper, it, all the stuff is there. Like, You want to know how bad things are? I love you, Keith. But all I can see right now is food. And I'm starving. You're carrying my next meal around with you in your veins. They got me. They got me real good. Okay. Why don't you take what you need for now? You know, to get you through? (laughs) That's too much. And you're so nice. Do I look like a mosquito? No. I'd have them shoot that edit it together show it in class next week i'm like all right that's the thing this now i'm showing you where it came from and have them all go like whoa and i'm like yeah that's how far away you are from making something you like and something that you're you're like how did i end up with that mm-hmm. right and so just mm-hmm. get them to avoid those pitfalls on the dime that is their tuition versus it's on someone else's dime when they're making a movie and that might be the last movie they ever make right so i think yeah. that that'd be my favorite that was my favorite scene too and i just think i watched it again today and I was like, it's not, to your point, it's not perfectly executed. Mm-hmm. But man, is it ambitious and, and a fun scene to like have mm-hmm. the new, newly freshly made vampire try to appeal to his friend and try to work through some of the emotions. And yeah. the fact that he still loves his friend and the fact that he even has a line where he says, I love you, man, but I want to kill you because of a vamp. Like there's some real stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there's also yeah. some funny jokes in it. So it's like, it just doesn't quite congeal correctly but boy is it close and i think if yeah i think if you went and saw like if you went to if your alma mater brought all the like drama alums out to los angeles to do a showcase and that was two young guys like 22 to 24 years old doing that scene and they did that whole scene you'd be like oh my god And at the very end they was like for micah blackout you'd be like yeah those kids got a future in this town. That's yeah, right. Is, where is that from? It's right. from Vamp. From New World Pictures Vamp. And I say, shut up. Get out of town. Right. When uh, Back in the day when we all had to uh, still have to do monologues for auditions, mm-hmm. I always did one from a movie from 1995 called Project Metal Beast. It's about oh, a half yes. Oh, yes. Oh, my werewolf. God. I love Project Metal Beast. Are you kidding? Yeah. It's the, it's the Kim Delaney speech where she's like, hey, you remember that time I told you about that girl that came in? Uh, to emergency, you know, third degree burns over her body, getting 90% of her body. <laughs> nothing we could do about it. Like, I would do that, and people would be, because it works for horror, it works for drama, yeah. it works for a medical drama if you're going out for like sure, an ER sure. or something like that. And you do it, number one, 
that's not a monologue they're going to hear the rest of that no, day. And, and number, that, yeah, and number right, two, right. I shit you not, I always got, whenever they ask the question, I didn't always get a call back when I did that monologue, but whenever they ask this question, I always got a call back because they said, oh, what is that from? I'd say, that's from a 1995 movie called <laughs> Project, Project Metal, Metal Beast. Beast. About, a, about a half cyborg, half werewolf. And I always <laughs> had the line, if I can do that with this writing, imagine what I could do with yours. Uh, I always got a call back. Uh, <laughs> they had to. They had to. Were they going to say, that, yeah. they gonna say yeah. their writing's worse than Project Metal Beast? Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I love, I love that movie, yeah. dude. That movie yeah. is so fun and silly. I was friends. I was friends for John Marzilli for a long time. The guy that plays the original soldier that gets turned into the beast that Kane Hodder plays for the rest. Yeah, of Kane Hodder. That's why. That's, that, yeah, that's why I wish I originally watched it. Yeah, because uh, he yeah. was like, he was on the Nickelodeon show, The Secret Life of Alex Mack, and then he also had done Project Metal Beast. And I was like. Well, those are exactly the type of movies I watch. So yeah, I'm gonna go watch my friend in it now. Uh, so yeah, ridiculous. Erica, your favorite scene? I kind of already mentioned it with uh, with mm-hmm. Vic and um, uh, Vic and, and Vlad. Uh, Vlad. Vic yeah. and Vlad. Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah final scene. The, final the, scene in the with Vic and Vlad. I just I love that yeah, yeah, final yeah. office scene. I thought it was just so great. You know, like I mentioned before, I, you know, won't go super into it again, but just because you don't usually see those characters have kind of like a heartfelt death. It's usually some gruesome mm-hmm. death or something where you're like, yeah, they ripped their heads off or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were just content. There was like yeah. a, a scene on Titanic of, they were just, just content to go down. I was mm-hmm. kind of like, and there's flames there, in the there, window of his office. So they, like nobody just... invested in a, uh, in, in a fire extinguisher. Like no. nobody, there's no, no, no. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Well, part of vampire lore, vampire canon, is the fact that they become sort of desensitized to filth and to the smell of death and all that. So I'm like, yeah, they probably haven't cleaned in a long time. Mm-hmm. They probably don't replace things. Like, you live for 250 years. Like, does a crack in the window, like, oh, we better get that window pane replaced. Like, who gives a shit? Like, right. mm-hmm. that, that right. is sort of canon. But yeah. yeah, the idea that you don't have fire extinguishers around when one of the things that absolutely can kill you is flames. Yeah, yeah. I'm, and you, I'm with and, you. I gotta call shenanigans. And you just have <laughs> barrels of flammable liquid all over the place, apparently. So yeah. you know, not even with lids. They yeah, didn't have yeah, to unscrew the top. Yeah, he just tipped them over. Just open. Yes. Oh boy, let's get into just our open uh, kerosene. <laughs> let's get into our final questions. Here's our final questions for Vamp. Um, yes. If you're asked to play a dead body during a pledge ceremony, where do you rank in that fraternity? <laughs> boy are we saying like on a scale of one to ten like he's not a pledge no because he's in on it no yeah so he has to, so he has to be a first year freshman he has to be at least someone yeah. that's already pledged and been accepted but still on shit detail mm-hmm. yeah. also mm-hmm. he had done all the makeup so he was really into it he was he was the one theater major they've let in and they're like nah, yeah the theater major gives me pause and they're like but yeah but you know. but his dad's a legacy bro we have to Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> How on earth is Allison working at the club, but isn't a vampire? Well, I think I think uh, I think Erica nailed yeah. it. I think she. I think, she I think she's a like, vampire. I think she's a vampire. She, she unturns the her yeah. curse is lifted when Grace Jones dies. Uh, okay, that's what okay. I really think. But I just don't understand then why Robert Rustler doesn't turn back because he still stays a vampire. He's still a vampire at the end of the film. So Well, he's the one that kills the main vampire, so maybe he has now assumed the role. Well, he of the didn't. Uh, Keith did. AJ is the one that gets turned into a vampire, and then he ends up killing but I think- Vlad at the end. But Vlad's not the lead vampire. Grace Jones is. So 
Or, or is why she? is Vlad still a vampire at that no, point? No, AJ, yeah. AJ, Robert Russell at the end is like, I'll go to night school and don't worry about, you know, I'll... Well, that's, does, that's what I'm saying. It becomes saying. like he, the Shaun of the Dead ending, you know, where it's like, well, my buddy's oh. a vampire still, but whatever, you know, so... This is, well, then this is too much because then the idea that, that actually Grace Jones wasn't the main vampire the whole time, Vlad is the one that turned her, she dies... AJ kills him, so therefore AJ is now uh, the main uh, vampire. Uh, but that's a lot of things you're asking the audience to do on their own. But that tracks with the, the already a lot of things that have taken place in Vamp. So the layers, yeah. the layers, the layers. The layers. Am- layers. Amaretto was just she was just covering. There was someone that was out that night. She works for the strip club temp agency. <laughs> that she just comes in and covers one night. So that Mark. Was- <laughs> Strip Club Temp Agency is a movie you need to write right yes, now. Yes, I'm not even remotely kidding. There are 10,000 different ways you could do that, and all of them are good. You could do it like this, like a vamp a type. Like, you know, they did The Office, and that led to Parks and Rec, and that led to Abbott Elementary. Strip Club Temp Agency, you could sell to Fox tomorrow just with that. Stay you write you write it, write it. No, no, you he has to write nothing. He walks in just like fucking like uh what's his name? Uh uh who did Terminator and everything else. The family, James, like, James Cameron. James Cameron. You walk in straight up like James Cameron, you write strip club temp agency, and then you just put the dollar sign through the S and you walk out. <laughs> And then you got to check in your mailbox the next day of like, just yes. a blank one that says, whatever you make, we are, we're in. We're in no notes. We're in development, we in development the next right years. now. We're going to make this work. We're going to yes. make this. What um, is this? What's this number? Is this scam only? No, I'm your new agent at CAA. We heard about strip club. <laughs> temp agency. Temp agency. Done. We have to make it happen. <laughs> Can, this is a question I just was curious about. Can... Pawn shops sell missile launchers? No, I think that was also a hat tip to um, probably not Terminator, but it was definitely a hat tip to Commando because he does break in with him and Ray Down and Chong. They do break into they, that, that's the, an uh, army surplus store. Yeah, yeah. First Blood had one of those. Like they just wanted a scene where they break into a place that has a lot of stuff. I can't believe that he turned down the crossbow that was right there in the window. Seriously, and, went, yeah. and then went past all the like. Oh yes. The shitty bow and arrow. Yeah, the like good most basic, bow. but even the one yeah. he has in his room in the very beginning, like he has a serious bow and yeah. arrow. Like he's clear, clearly clearly yeah. the archery club or whatever. I also love that yeah. they never explain that. I love that just the thing they introduced. No need. He splits the apple. Like we get it. He's really good at it. We don't need yeah. to like get into the details of all that. I love that they didn't do that. Also, what stripper were they going to get with a hundred and sixty some dollars? Even in even in nineteen eighty <laughs> prices, what? Yeah. To go to a private like candy. Might to go to a it. private fraternity right. but party. They went to the lead do- stripper of the club. They went to the queen stripper and were like, "We're going to give her one hundred sixty bucks, and she'll she'll come." I'm sorry, not even yeah. in nineteen eighty dollars money. If you're asking a stripper to go off site to do a private party with nothing but fraternity brothers, with no backup, no you security, have to be like yeah, you have to offer her a couple of grand. Even in those times, for her to sure. even question, like, well, maybe it won't be so bad. They seem like nice guys. $160? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. What was his plan there? To just get more money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree. I've seen the magic mics. That tracks. 
<laughs> oh, that's the third magic mic. That's the, that's it, buddy. Comedy that's my last dance, babies. Good night. <laughs> last dance. Uh, so uh, we, now yeah. that we've kind of mentioned some of these other theories, this has even more relevance. This question: sure. Do you think this all would have turned out differently if Katrina had just listened to Vic and moved the After Dark Club to Las Vegas? Yeah, it would have. Um, yeah. I think so. I'll say yes. I can see where a vampire would be like the high desert, that dry heat. Absolutely fucking not. <laughs> I think it. I, I think it is a gaping plot hole to find out why she was like, "Hey, do you want to do this act in Vegas where you absolutely could get away with a only showing up at night because it's Vegas and everyone gets that, especially if a performer, and b if transients and people that were just off the strip, guys that were." too low rent for like circus Sussex or the horseshoe or the, or the corral or any other thing, those guys disappearing in the middle of the night and being buried in a shallow grave by the desert. Yeah. Why didn't she take it to Vegas? This movie mm-hmm. would be so much more interesting, but mm-hmm. also you could get the, like we've been here for 75 years. I believe it. I have, I have family that lives mm-hmm. in Vegas and mm-hmm. work there. I a thousand percent believe that they could get away with it for years without anyone questioning it. Absolutely believe yeah. that. Absolutely. I have no idea why she wouldn't take it to Vegas. That makes I don't know sense. why she didn't either. I don't yeah. know. She never speaks, so maybe she tried to, but he didn't get it because she didn't actually say any words. <laughs> she write it down. I pulled the girl's heart out. Yes. Well, that was my yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, just like imagine Remember what like, you said? Just pull a girl's heart out and that'll be yes. Just do it. Yeah, well, well, how I finally better did can it. I say yes? Let's move to Vegas and pull this girl's heart out. <laughs> yeah. Like Celine oh, Dion. I don't know like what to Cel- do. Yeah, like Celine Dion has that like those, her and Brittany and everybody that has residencies of Katrina doesn't want a residency where she's not, she's not at like the MGM grand. Mm-hmm. She doesn't get to go yeah. to the boxing matches, like where she gets to literally sit in the front row and just have blood fed to her from the, mm-hmm. the rest. She could have brought a funnel in her chair Dude. and just been like sitting yeah. there, just getting, mm-hmm. getting it refilled. Yep. When we do the sequel guys. When we do the reboot. Yeah, when Vamp 2. When we get yeah. ready for Vamp 2. The yeah. Vamp. So, uh, this, it's Vamp and the V is in the pink neon for the Vegas. And then you get your color scheme yes. again, Mark. You get your color scheme uh-huh. again. Yeah. yeah. There you go, Mark. Done. Telling you. Done, done, done. It's all going to come together. Some quick research, because our real research is coming next week, where we have an interview with uh, Donald Borchers. So that is coming next week. But here's what? a little bit of quick stuff. Don't yeah. tell, don't tell me I said anything that he might construe as being negative, because I would hate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we we this movie had a three point three million dollar budget. Uh, what and yeah, wow, yeah, <laughs> wow. I'm gonna take back the part where I said that I wish they had more money and more days. No, they just fucked up. They just fucked up. <laughs> oh man. Oh, and, 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 and 1986 money. 1986 so, uh, money. Yeah, yeah. So filming began on January 28, 1986. It's the day uh, of the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster. Oh, yeah. That's also the same day they they they, they shot the spin-out of the car. It was hmm. that same day. Oh, wow. Uh, Vamp opened July 18, 1986, opposite Aliens, which uh, mm. doesn't need the benefit of hindsight to feel like a bad idea. But... Uh, <laughs> 
The film uh, did ultimately make back its budget domestically as far as the numbers. It's sometimes very hard for a lot of these uh, movies, particularly some of the stuff in the mid-80s to find, and definitely the 70s and yeah. uh, the Corman era, to find what was the money that they made, especially, mm. especially Corman stuff, because they would travel from areas of the country. So who knows? Also, but, um, also, I'm confident that Corman kept six set of books. There's no oh, way, yeah, no yeah, way you would no, ever know he, how much money comes through there, brother. You, you, we won't know, but he knows. Oh, for he sure. He accounted for every <laughs> yeah. penny, you yeah, know, yeah. but we don't know. Uh, so Donald Borchers has says in interviews that the movie ultimately made $11 million when it comes to foreign. I just looked so up at $3.3 million is $8.2 million today. So yeah, yeah. you could yep. do it. You could do it quite a bit with that. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Oh god. Yeah, so Ugh. so ultimately the movie apparently makes 11 million dollars. Porter says that it did very well in home, uh, in at foreign box office. Grace Jones is a big star sure. overseas. Home video, TV it did well. Uh, they had to cut out a lot of the nudity to which I said didn't have to cut out a lot. To nope. Help. I couldn't find anything to refute it, so I have to take uh, Donald's word on it. And I'm sure yeah. he is also t- noting the numbers and taking mm-hmm. care of that. He's the producer, after all. So yeah, that's that's his nut. Yeah, yeah. In, in New World's release calendar, this movie opens after Jake Speed in May, mm-hmm. uh, and Reform School Girls follows Vamp in August. So that's they're doing pretty good. They're doing pretty good at that point, I would say. All three films that uh, Jake Speed, Reform School Girls, Vamp are. Balcor Film Investor Films, most of which we are have now covered. Okay. Uh, as a reminder, all the Balcor films are 1985's The Annihilators, Transylvania 6 5000, and Making Contact. 1986's Star Crystal, Jake Speed, Vamp, Reform School Girls, Soul Man. Didn't realize Soul Man was in the mix. Wow. And Wanted Dead or Alive, 1987's Death oh, Before Oh, I Honor. love Wanted Dead or Alive with Rucker Howard. Oh, yeah. Love it. Uh, um, <laughs> 1987's Death, Death Before Dishonor, Return to Horror High, and lastly, Pretty Smart. So those are all the Balcor films. The Balcor film investors was mm-hmm. uh, New World Pictures publicly trading and allowing people to buy for thousands of dollars, yeah. like you know, an investment company, so they could finance a bunch of these films. A lot of these films, though, as you can hear from the list, didn't do great. I would have to say I thought Vamp was one of those. It looks like it actually did okay. Okay. Um, Reform School Girls did pretty well. A lot of these other ones didn't do great. So it was. Uh, it ends up blowing up in people's faces, yeah. uh, especially the investors. But you can listen to our pretty smart episode where I really dive into the Valcor film mm-hmm. investor stuff. Real quickly, I'm just going to go through an uh, Ebert review, Roger Ebert's review, which I thought was pretty interesting at the time in 1986. Uh, he basically was very upset with, with the Grace Jones of it because he felt like this movie uh, didn't do her justice. So, um, so he says, to judge by the ads, you think this was a vampire movie and Grace Jones was the star. But once again, all she gets is a tantalizing supporting role while a bunch of college kids hog the main story. It's sort of a vampire version of After Hours, which at this point, if you told me that this movie was a vampire version of After Hours, I'm in. When can I buy my ticket? That sounds fantastic. You're selling me on it, Roger. Um, Somewhere in the middle of all this, Jones gets lost. She has a couple of big scenes, and then they dump her. That's what always happens. Hollywood must know there are a lot of Grace Jones fans. New World Pictures did. That's why (laughs) they advertise a movie as if she were the star. Hell yeah, they did, because they were trying to make that money. Now they should try making a movie where she is the star. Doesn't that seem to be the next logical step? And it is, but they didn't really make the next big Grace Jones movie. 
Yeah. Uh, it would have made sense. Mm-hmm. And I think, as we said, she did a great job in this. So yeah. I yeah, uh, I wanted to share that because I really thought that was an interesting introspective thing. We were ready in that time for a big Grace Jones movie, and we just never got it. We're yeah. uh, It's so funny because we're coming. We're just, we're all we're just making all these connections again. Uh, Joseph Minion, who wrote After Hours and also Vampire's Kiss, uh, was my first screenwriting teacher. I fucking love that dude. That dude is wow. awesome. <laughs> he is. He was so great and so nice and was like, no, like no affectation. He really was passionate about screenwriting. He wanted you to do good. He wanted to, you know, writers. I'm like, I'm literally a freshman. I'm 18 years old. I've never written a screenplay in my life. And he's one of the few guys that I've, I've ever met in, you know, the 25, 30 years of this business at this point where someone mentioned like name drops and it's absolutely not name dropping. He's just describing his life. So I was talking to Marty and I'm like, he's talking about Martin Scorsese and mm-hmm. he's not doing it to be like, well, when I was working with Marty, like he was just like, I was talking to Marty and he was like, I don't know. What if we did this? And I think, yeah, that's a, probably a good idea. And I see, I see what, that's probably what you're trying to do in your script, right? Well, maybe have the cowboy show up later. And then when the bad guy shows up earlier than him, then the cowboy feels bad about it. You're just like, what a, <laughs> This was you, man. Thank you. So yeah. So again, <laughs> but also similar from Dust till dawn. The entire time I was watching Vamp, I did not once think of After Hours. I did not once. <laughs> I know. Think. I know. That did not cross my saying, mind in the I slightest. Think, <laughs> I think Roger Ebert is, is convincing people to go by saying that, and I think it's very. Yeah. You're actually giving this movie like a real boost by bringing in After Hours. I'm not sure this is After Hours. Yeah, your head's getting worse, but not like that. But if he convinced a few extra people to go because they thought, well, I could see a vampire version of After Hours. Well, then good work, Roger Ebert. Uh, but BOC, thank you so much for being here and joining us thank on this you. episode. Yes, we so appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you. Where can people find you uh, online? Yeah, I'm on all the social medias that don't work anymore because the algorithm is horribly broken. Um, <laughs> Brian James O'Connell, if you just if you just Google me, uh, I'm the only one. Don't do Brian O'Connell because there was already a Brian O'Connell in SAG, as I told you guys before. But also, uh, in the early days of the internet, before they had like Google search and stuff like that, I found out that there was a different Brian O'Connell uh, by people searching and finding an email and just assuming I was him. So uh, I got a lot of his uh, fans sending me their artwork to uh, judge. <laughs> and I think you know where I'm going here. So... I don't know if you know anything about the furry community, but um, <laughs> at a certain point, you just get used to opening your inbox and seeing a lot of anthropomorphic foxes and dogs uh, fucking each other. And then you just have to politely say, it, it looks like you have really good brush skills. I am not the primal call you're looking for. So if, if, if you would like to avoid that, just, yeah, Brian James O'Connell and Google, I'm on, uh, I'm, uh, uh, at B3OC, the, the letter B, the number three OC uh, on Twitter and Instagram, and then uh, and then the real B3OC on, on TikTok. So let me show you. I'm doing stuff in the Pack Theater. If you want me to come to your town and teach and do stuff, or you want me to do online stuff, uh, I'm very available to all that stuff. I'm currently pitching uh, an animated television series uh, based on the Anarchist Cookbook. It's the official adaptation. I'm the writer on that. And uh, a couple other things I'm not allowed to talk about uh, yet. Uh, don't Very worry. Cool. Don't worry. They still don't pay, just like the rest of the stuff we're working on. Uh, <laughs> but when they do, but, knock on wood. But 
but definitely check out Bloodsucking Bastards. Yes, of course, uh, of course. It, it is yes. a very fun movie. Yes. It's got Pedro Pascal. Go in and see The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Be an evil vampire. You're going to mm-hmm. love that. And uh, as I mentioned, it's on almost every single streaming platform right now. So definitely check that out. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And um, would be kind of a fun... Uh, I think there'd be I think there'd be other ones you could do, but this one they would make a fun double with Vamp. Yeah, I, fun mm-hmm. pairing. So and and so does a fun double. And so does blood sucking. Uh, so does bloody disgusting to think so. If I may, yeah, because we brought yeah. up one who did our live. If you want a really really good, if you are a fan of the New World Pictures podcast, looking for something in that sort of. Uh, genre offense. You can't really go wrong with a good double feature of Wanted Dead or Alive and Blind Fury. Those are two mm-hmm. real very, good, very small theatrical release. Gotta you know get your money back, but live your life and become famous and become a cult classic <laughs> on 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 VHS rental. Rucker Hauer being a a bounty hunter hunting down Gene Simmons, and then. <laughs> Being uh, uh, Hitoshi, the, <laughs> Hitoshi the Blind Swordsman. Can't right. go wrong. Exactly. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. <laughs> and that, yeah. Blind Fury is a the kid. Great, he makes friends with a kid. Yeah, Blind Fury is Blind a Fury great is example a of yeah. an action movie that absolutely works in those comedy pieces and bits very, very well. Where yeah. he pretends yeah. like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see you there. <laughs> and, just, and the next thing you know, there's just <laughs> five ruffians on the ground. Did something happen? Right? It's great. <laughs> Fantastic. And Tom DeSimone, that we had our interview with him uh, last month, he talked about how he was going to make Wanted Dead or Alive 2. So you can listen to that uh, interview and listen to his idea and what he was going to do for Wanted Dead or Alive 2, which maybe would have been made had New World Pictures survived. Uh, you can listen to that interview. You can watch Bloodsucking Bastards mm-hmm. and you can listen to us. Go to newworldpicturespodcast.com and is. you can get all of our content. You can get our T-shirts, and we just hope you will join us. Tell your friends about the show, and we'll see you next time on the New World Pictures Podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye. I we cut will, him uh, off it- at the corner of the river, and I said I had two bullets, one for you and one for me. 